1: Roger, Briscoe, Brad, y'all. I will be Bradshaw. Shut up, Jerry. He is the Chickasaw native and Chickasaw Hall of Fame, Oklahoma's favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe, and we have got a treat today. It's taken, it's months in the work. He's a Cauliflower Hour, Lifetime Club member, Mid-Atlantic Hall of Heroes, Smoky Mountain Hall of Fame member, held a million titles, bodybuilding, Drag racing, he's done it all, but most importantly, it's taken us months to get him on. That tells you how important he is. He is Mr. Les Thornton. Welcome to the show, Les. Les Les Thornton. (laughs) Hey, look right up
2: behind his shoulder. (laughs) Holy shit, John. (laughs) hey, Les, it's great to have you out of the grave, my friend. Good to see you. I, I can't. My
0: English accent is not there, but...
2: Well, that's what <laughs> happened when you passed away, at all the
0: unfortunate. Uh, G- Gavin, I'll try my best. <laughs> you want to do this again, John? I thought, damn, John's giving me a great in- intro,
2: but he gave Les Thornton a
1: <laughs> <laughs> Les Thornton was a great worker, too. Yeah, Not as good yeah,
2: as, he, as he, he's, he's, he's been He's been studying your bio. He's been studying Les Thornton's bio. He don't know shit about you, Les. <laughs> Wait a minute.
1: I had all that stuff right. Every bit of it. You it, had it all right. Yes, you did. <laughs> well, shut up, Jerry. Let's that you. That's, that's It's late, man. It's almost my bedtime.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you oh, know man. what? I don't know how many Many times I've had people send emails of, you know, they confuse Thornton and Thatcher. And they'll say, we saw you defend the junior heavyweight title, such and such a place. Of course, I never was that place, right? But yeah. So
2: John made a legitimate. Oh, uh, no, no. fuck you.
1: (laughs) He's stupid. He's a damn. (laughs) That was not nice at all. (laughs)
2: Okay. Are we rolling or what?
1: We're rolling.
2: I'm not editing none of that out. Okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Les Thorne, man, I appreciate you giving me this. Les two Thatcher. Championship. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I had That's to come a- up drama in front of Les Thatcher. Now, you remember that Les Thatcher, don't you, Les? Yeah, I have met him. Yeah, uh, yeah. hey, uh, John. You know, we got this guy here that's that's uh, that's gracious enough after too much of finally coming on our deal because he did know how to push a little button down there where it said oh, microphone. I'm gonna catch the, 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 game only, game. Only, the only guy have ever we've ever had on that's older than me older than water. That's less thatcher, <laughs> not less sort. But anyway. John, you didn't know Les uh, less Thatcher's career he spent. Dick Cut, all these NWA champions, all these world famous greats, Dick Cuttino, Luther, the Pat O'Connor, Jack Briscoe, Ric Flair, all the way up to uh, to uh, Terry Funk, and even Abraham Lincoln was thrown in there at one
1: time. Oh,
2: so, yeah, Lincoln was stiff. Was <laughs> you told me that before. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what you're training Abe, but when he was going up against Douglas. <laughs> he was tough to get behind. <laughs> he was, well, he's so, he so was, damn tall; he should be
0: easy. Well, he's built a little bit like Hajo—that lean muscle, right? He's, that lean and mean muscle, yeah. Yeah, exactly.
2: But was he as honest as he said he was, or what did he uh, do? He Not quite. He was a politician. <laughs> <He's>, well, that says it <laughs> all right there. John, John lives up here amongst those guys, so he'll probably go through off often we're not the politicians. Not. Oh my Unless, God! Thank you. what what an illustrious career and I've been fortunate to know you a lot of that career there I think I first met you back in the 70s uh 71 in Charlotte, Charlotte North Carolina there right
0: yeah I I met both the Briscoes uh, in 71 I went to uh went to Tampa and that's where I met Jack and then it came to Charlotte and that's where you and I hooked up in 71.
2: yeah yep yeah, that, that was quite an experience. That was my really my first territory. I think I just left uh, uh, Jim Barnett's Australian tour at the time. I'd spent a year over there and come in. Sandy Scott was there. They teamed me up with Sandy Scott to teach me the business a little bit. And what a teacher Sandy was. I know you said under that tree with Sandy also.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. What a great, great guy. Yeah, he, he helped me a lot. I first met them when I uh, got a contract in 62 with uh, Barnett in Indianapolis that's where I first met Jordan Sandy and uh he was always well I'll tell you the truth my first time I went to Charlotte was 63 and I checked in at the uh the hotel and the desk clerk said Sandy Scott left his phone number wants you to call him and so I did and he said uh I got your bookings meet me at the uh, explain to me where the office was meet me there tomorrow I'll introduce you to the uh to the boss and uh you're riding with george and i on tuesday to raleigh come out to the uh my place and have dinner so he took care of me man i you know couldn't ask for anything better
2: it goes it, it goes back to i want to ask you a lot about you know back back right when you were started but you said you signed your first contract 61 with jim barnett now was that what he had his, uh, 62. 62. I, is uh 62 62 is uh, he it had there? Indianapolis TV. Indianapolis. Who who was he partnered with? uh who was it? Uh, Doyle
0: Johnny Doyle in Detroit. Doyle,
2: wow. yeah. yeah, John and I have talked to them a lot about these old time promoters. There, you can really fill in a lot of gaps for us here.
0: Well, just ask. Right. <laughs> well, you know, you know, everybody does Barnett's voice. Everybody. Well, that's where the name
2: Thatcher came from. You know, can you see the poster? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's really, I'm shocked that John introduced you as Thornton, because I was looking at your name right there, and we appreciate you putting your name up, because John daddy, has that old-timer disease that he can't really remember a lot of this stuff. Well, you know, Malady's Irish, and yeah. so when I broke
0: in in Boston, that's a big Irish influx, so, you know, Santos never thought about changing my name, and and it, but people always, Malady is the way it's pronounced, but I, Malady, Malady, it, it gets butchered all the time, so when I came to Indianapolis in 62, uh, that they started by calling me by my real last name. And then I guess maybe five, six weeks after I'd been there, uh, when it was a TV, Les Ruffin came in and said, the old man's tired of the ring announcers and the uh, guy's butchering your, your last name. He wants to call you Les Thatcher. Is that okay? Hell, man, I was just getting started. Business. Call me anything you want. Just let me in the ring. Jim Buck- me right (laughs) yeah exactly so that's when i became less stature back in 1962 and
2: been less well well, let's back up a little bit before that uh you you were, you were uh cincinnati uh a a homegrown guy right or uh, ohio homegrown guy And but you ended up out out in the northeast getting trained by tony santos who i'd really want you to talk about uh tell us a lot about tony because what an interesting time that was for for wrestling there but uh you know what 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 kind of led you to make a big ass move and back in those days, the stagecoach days, that was a long move from Cincinnati out <laughs> 22 there. hours on a Greyhound bus, brother. <laughs> yes, it was. Yes. It, well, here's the thing. See, I wanted
0: I wanted to be a professional wrestler. And the close why? why?
2: Why do I do you want to be a professional wrestler? Why well, I
0: fell in love with it when I was about nine years old. I saw the first time I saw wrestling, it was from the old uh, music hall in Cincinnati on Friday night and uh we went we didn't have a tv at home right at that point in time we went to a neighbor's house and i first saw wrestling on a black well and that, white
2: that was when tvs were first invented anyway right so well, a lot, yeah, of, it, lot of people yes, did that i mean honestly that i mean i would i go back to that time too where was a every one, black one, and white one screen. person in the whole neighborhood would, would have a tv
0: yeah yeah it was a black and white 10-inch screen but it was like don eagle and ivan rasputin mm-hmm. and uh Guys like, and then of course back then you got to realize once we got a TV through the week, Cincinnati had wrestling. Get Dayton TV, uh, Sunnyside Gardens in Chicago, uh, Saint Nicholas Arena in New York, uh, Hollywood Legion Stadium in L.A., and Texas style wrestling on the kinescope. Texas style wrestling every damn night, almost. You know, and. I, But, of course, how do you get in this business? You talk to people, and they say, uh, well, finally, when I was I was 18, I decided I was going to drive up to Reynoldsburg, Ohio, which is where Al Haft had his office. And back when I was a kid, Haft was the biggest promoter in the NWA. They were right. promoting Ohio, Michigan, West Virginia, Indiana, and Kentucky.
2: Did, did they, or they, is one that started at DeBot TV uh, Wrestling?
0: No, that was uh, Fred Kohler.
2: That had to do- cool yeah
0: country. yeah uh so anyway uh so i drove up to reynoldsburg and uh went in and like a dumbass right not knowing it's i want to be a professional wrestler
2: right now you were you, you were not into bodybuilding or anything like that at no time, not at that you, time no or, I, you were just I was a, a very athletic baseball, young man. football basketball all the whole the whole nine yards and
0: so uh frankie Taliber, who I didn't know I didn't know what a booker was for Christ's sake uh-huh. but Taliber, I'd seen wrestle right and so uh, he came out to talk to me really nice about it. And well, you need to put on some size. I was probably 175 pounds at the time and needed get experience. And of course I was being gentlemen. I said, I wanted to say, how do I get any experience? Nobody will let me do anything, right? So I was frustrated by it but I picked up a copy of uh, wrestling review magazine. And here was a story about Tony Santos and a promoter in Boston who actually was the first wrestling school. Uh, The stories about how he gives young aspiring athletes that want to be in wrestling a a shot at being a TV star, traveling the world, and all that stuff, right? (laughs) So I wrote him a letter. Realized it's 1959, 60, right? And... uh, And people wrote
2: handwritten letters back in those days.
0: Yes, yes. I could actually write (laughs) and spell. It's clever. (laughs) Yes. But anyway, so he sent me back a trifold about his school, which I still have, by the way. Oh, but wow. uh, so he told me the deal. So three hundred dollars for six months. And so I had you know, saved up my money, got on a Greyhound bus in February 1960, went to Boston and ended up in a little rooming house. And that's
2: where my training started. Now that was was that the top Patterson, or he had already left, or, or no? Patterson was? didn't come in till '61, so he was later than you then.
0: Uh, yeah, but he had been he broke in in uh, Montreal.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. But now, when I just this past year, I I went on uh, Peacock to look. I wanted to see the Pat Patterson uh, documentary that WWE right. did, and the opening is Pat standing in front of 72 Westland Avenue. That's where we lived in the 90s. Wow. Yeah. Pat, Alex Medina, uh, Don Kindred, Black Magic, myself, uh, Ronnie Dupree, a kid named Johnny Mann, uh, a kid from uh, Cleveland, Ohio, named uh, Jimmy Thomas. They called him uh, uh, Flash Thomas. But, yeah, everybody lived in this rooming house at 72 Westland Avenue. It was right across the street from where Santos' gym was at the time. And so I, I trained, I started my training in February and I had my first match, July the 4th, 1960. And when I say to the young, young kids, I said, you know, so I trained like six months. I said, you know, when they smart me up, when July the 4th, 1960. Yeah. Honest. The first couple of weeks, I thought if my dad were to pull up here while I'm walking back to that $10 a week grooming house, I might get in that car and go back to Cincinnati. My ass, was, like that. <laughs> my ass was handed to me a few times, right? And, and I mean, nobody really broke, but they, but you know, they'd let you know you, they were there and that they were better than you are and all that. But uh, it was, it was fun too. I mean, it really was. And uh, now, the crazy thing is, I'm living in a rooming house with guys who are already working in the business, but they don't, they don't talk in front of me. They're not smart. They don't smart me up. But that Fourth of July. Uh, Tony's one of Tony's kids came over and uh, knocked on my door and he said, my dad wants to see you. It's like nine o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I must be in trouble, right? It's 4th of July. We're not training. And the, the old man wants to see me. So I got dressed and went over. And uh, he said, uh, you've got your, you've got trunks and Alma, Alma Mills, uh, Tiny Mills's niece, niece, uh, worked in the, the office for Tony as she wrestled too. But she made my jackets for me. And so he said you got jackets, you got your boots, you got tights, yeah, trunks, yes. Okay, today's your today's your day. Go back to your place, pack your bag, come back, we'll talk. Now, how they taught us to work without telling us it was a work was kind of unique because I mean they'd get in and hook you and you know, and, and let you like I say they make you feel them. But then they'd say, Okay, uh, you and Gerald, we want you to have a match, but nobody's getting paid and it don't need it matter, it's not about winner or loser. We just want to see if you can make the switches from hold to hold, but don't apply any pressure because, you know, it's not serious. So they're actually teaching us to work a hold without telling us this is what it's going to be. So Tony says to me, sitting across from him at his desk, you remember how you trained and how we have you show you those holes, but didn't have you put the pressure on? I say, yes, sir. Well, that's what you're going to do today, which didn't really explain anything to me. But, okay, I want to do anything, right? So we were at Blue Hills, Maine, at the fairgrounds, 4th July celebration. The ring was set up on the racetrack at the fairgrounds. But I rode there. They picked me up, Ron, Cowboy Ronnie Hill, uh, a local guy who played football at, at Boston University named Joe Sasso, and Bull Montana, who was a hell of an old heel. And, and I bought won.
2: tickets to watch Bull,
0: right? Yeah.
2: Um, I worked for Bull.
0: That was my second match, or my actually my first match. I worked twice that day, but I got more education from Boston to Blue Hills, Maine in the car, right? <laughs> They're filling my head with all this stuff. And so my first match was against Ronnie Hill in a single. Sasso worked with Bull in a single. And then Sasso and I came back against Bull and Ronnie
2: uh, in a tag.
0: Right. That was the See, whole...
2: that, that, that's how those matches there weren't a lot of guys on the card, but if you were in a tag match, you had to watch what they call a warm-up match back there, yes. which is usually a 10-15 minute uh, uh when you tell these life. yeah,
0: when you tell these kids a day four guys put in yeah. put a two-hour show on, they look yeah. at you like you must be nuts.
2: <laughs> right?
0: But that's the way, yeah. You're all well, yeah. spot shows a lot of spot. Yeah. You must have worked some spot shows like that too, right? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so uh that was and my first shower was a damn garden hose out behind <laughs> yeah. the, the timing
2: tower. Welcome to yeah. professional wrestling, yeah. right? 12 bucks was my first payoff. 12 bucks. Wow. Yeah. You still got that 12 bucks? <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I
0: spent it probably the next day. Somewhere. Get it somewhere, but yeah, get that's it somewhere. how it all started. And uh, it just, you know, it, it was, I look back at it, it was so much fun too, because once I broke in, all these guys are helping me. I've got extra trainers living in the same building I'm in, right? And, of course, they're telling me, do this, do that, try this, try that. And so it was, I, I don't think there's a better place to learn th- than doing it that way, On it, quite honestly. And, uh, well, probably, th- what, th- maybe four months into my career, we were in some small town in New England. I don't remember what the building was or the town. But anyway, the main event hadn't showed up. They had car problems or something, right? So they had called the building and, and they got the promoter. And anyway, so somebody's got to fill time. So Ronnie Dupree says, I'll take less and we'll fill the time. Give me the high sign when the main event gets to the building. He took me out there and we went 40 minutes. And i had only been, I'd been working less than six months at the time. Wow. But we he talked me through every, every step of the way, right? So that talk about an education. I mean, you know, and and then uh, I so I worked there. I, I got to work with Pat. Pat's I don't start to say Pat's crazy. I don't have to tell you that, you know. Pat's no. crazy, right? <laughs> excuse me, but yeah, uh, but then I I came home for Christmas, went back up there, and then left there in November of sixty one, and came home and. And actually I'd met Emile Dupree in, in Boston. He'd work, come down and work for Tony out of uh, the Maritimes. And so he was working for Barnett and I saw he was at Cincinnati Gardens. So I went over and said, hey man, I'd like to get my foot in the door here. So he gave me Les Ruffin's name and the address in Indianapolis. And I sent him uh, a picture and you know some background. And so he called me and he said, first thing he asked me, are you tw- how old are you? I said, I'm 21, you got proof? <laughs> because I looked younger, I did, right? And I said, yes, sir. He said, okay, need to be at Indianapolis Television on Saturday. So this, I'd never been on a TV in my life before.
2: Was the age because you were going on TV, you think? Or what, what was the age? Uh, well,
0: because I looked younger, I no. think. Because, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, Rocky McGuire, that was booking Mobile back in 67. Uh, Bobby Shane was the... Teenage sensation in Atlanta, Leo was really pushing him, right? 17. Right. Right. So when I, when Kirby and Hall and I went into Mobile from uh, Louisiana, uh, Rocky said, I want to put them together as a team. We were working as cousins, right? The three right. of us. But you're going to be my teenage sensation. I said, what? Uh-huh. He said, you're going to be my Bobby Shane. I said, I thought he's out of his friggin' mind. Uh-huh. I was 26 years old. <laughs> he, passed me, he passed me off and said, and the people bought it. And man, it killed my social life. Uh, how bad? <laughs> Well, you know, uh, Paul and I were sharing an apartment, and Kirby, the three of us traveled together and everything, but I couldn't go in a bar with them. I'm 17 years old, right? Uh-huh. I couldn't date, right? <laughs> because 15 year old girls say, Can I have your hot craft right? And I'm like, Rice, this is this is crazy, uh-huh. but. That moved me, that moved me to Tampa because they were doing a tag team tournament in Dothan, Alabama. So Lester Welsh and Eddie Graham and Sam Stevebo came in for the tag tournament. And I guess because both of us are named Les, they teamed me with Lester, you know. And then Saturday, they were there for a Saturday night spot show. And so at, in the dressing room at, at the spot show, Eddie and Lester approached me. And say we've talked to Rocky McGuire and we want you in Tampa. You're you're the NWA rookie of the year. And uh-huh. I'm thinking, whoa, <laughs> this uh-huh. now I'll be honest with you, Tampa had a reputation, right? I mean, yeah. a wrestler's territory. As much as I want to go there, if somebody said, Have you sent a resume there? Have you called there? At this point, I would have said no because I don't think I'm ready for that. But there's the boss telling me I'm coming to. Maybe I'm going to Tampa, right? Uh, fast as you go. Yes. And so that's, you know, the first time I'd ever been down there in, in, in 67. And, seven. and uh, my first, I got in, checked in the motel on a Sunday. And so I picked up a Tampa paper and it's got the card in it. And my opponent, my first opponent is Don Curtis. Wow. Huh. That's what I said. Wow. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? Because I'd never met him, but I seen his picture on the cover of wrestling magazines and I knew his reputation. Mm-hmm. And I thought, Oh my God, <laughs> right. But I'll tell you what we became instant that Tuesday night. I'm sitting in the armory and I don't know if John knows, but we dressed upstairs in the, uh, the old uh, Fort Hesterly armory. So the heels of made could all get together in the back. So I'm sitting back there and I see Curtis come in and talking to Eddie and Eddie pointed towards me. And so he comes back and he entered, he said, uh, I'm Don Curtis. And I said, yes, sir. I know. And I introduced myself. He said, we're working together tonight. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, is anybody sitting in this chair? I said, no mind. If I sit down, I said, please. And I'll tell you the truth. By the time we went to the ring, we were good friends went out and had a hell of a match. And uh, I mean, and he and I remained friends till the day he passed. I mean, uh, I've got a a brick from the old Jacksonville uh, Coliseum that he he brought to me in Mobile at a reunion and signed it and said, "Uh, this brick from the the Jacksonville Coliseum is stiff as my friend, Les Thatcher. (laughs) (laughs) i thought you know better <laughs> <And> done <laughs> but, but yeah so that was that was my first and then the deal was that they decided that uh, matsuda had just dropped the title back to danny a couple months before that so the deal was that, uh, that they told the story in programs and stuff that i was a big fan of danny hodge and that if i could get by matsuda then i got a shot at hodge in the title which Led to Matt Suda and Ronnie Garvin. They brought Kirby in, and Kirby and I worked with uh, with them around the territory, and uh, just never got to Danny. We we did get some heat though with a, with one of the top baby faces down there. It's kind of funny, Sputnik and Rocket. I always got along with Sputnik. First time I worked with him was in Kansas City territory in '63, but this this day Kirby and I were working with them on on TV. And Spuddy comes by and he says, we want to get you guys over since you're just getting in here. Right. And I mean, they won the match, but they healed to do that. And they put us over like a million bucks. Right. So uh, maybe a week later where we're, where we can talk to Spuddy. And he said, man, I, I'm happy. I put you guys, got, got you guys over, but it got me in trouble. I said, what are you talking about? Theriot on in the office uh. and said, Dan Monroe's put them, Kirby and Thatcher over better than they put us over, my God.
2: <laughs> politics, really rare.
0: Uh, back, in,
2: back then or is it even politics? Oh,
0: there I've never, be, you know, that's the one thing I'm not good at and don't want to ever be good at. Thank you very much. I may not have done much or had much, but it was on my merit. It wasn't on my nose sticking up somebody's rear end. That's what thing. <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, then we went on to, uh, that was my first experience in Tampa, though. But talking about 71, uh, Jack, uh, I rode with him and Roop some. And uh, that's where I got hooked on Christopherson. Uh, yeah. Right. And a few other things.
1: <laughs>
0: you were in Florida. <laughs> yes. With the Briscoe. Yes, yes. <laughs> And then from well, there, and that was uh, in 71, uh, I guess uh, Becker was crawling around uh, looking for a number two babyface team to, to be behind him and Weaver. And Lee, uh, Louis Talette, uh recommended Danny Miller and I. And Calder said, yeah, you know, we both have been in the territory, had success there. So yeah, okay. Uh, so that's when we came in and that's where I, and I remember coming to your apartment. Uh Paul Jones was over there. Yeah. With a couple of ladies. Oh, you should have seen uh the bachelor pad. Oh, John. You he uh George uh George, what's uh made you those lights? Who uh oh uh, man, I, I don't I can't
2: remember. Anyway, who it was. He had the
0: he had four, these uh long glass tube lights with a the knob. They were
2: disco lights, Les. They, they, well, anyway, four, four <laughs> of them had, had disco them. Lights, four disco lights. Yes, I did, Hanging and over your apartment. At my apartment, they the coolest thing in town. They were synced with a stereo. Yeah. Yes. And I walked
0: in that first night, and those, that was the only lights that were on. And there was Gerald and, and uh, Jones huddled over there with their ladies, and I started sniffing around, <laughs> Well, it smells funny in here? They didn't smell that bad last. Come <laughs>
1: on. Wait a minute. You had your disco lights synced with your music. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So they like pulsed with the music. Oh right? yeah. They they
0: hung. They were uh, canted right. Like they were hung in stair steps, all four different colors, and they flashed with the music. Oh, he was a player.
1: Well, like, I was apparently- a cool dude. But- <laughs> he was. A player, <laughs> you still got oh, you those should Lights, Mr. Briscoe. Do I, John? You still got those disco lights, Mr. Briscoe? I think Brisco?
2: I do up and up in the shed, up and up in front of the house. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't get rid of those things for nothing, man. So, so what somebody, was ba- what was the bad smell? Uh, uh the women with probably the women, uh, Paul Jones was with. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
0: You know what. That just reminded me of the rib you, you and Jack pulled on, P.J. Well, the,
2: which one? Cad- What's rib? William the Cadillac or, or, or the... He hit loose. his car. Oh, yeah. Tell tell John that. Though. Some of the well, ribs we Jones, Jones had been
0: in Japan, right? And he just came back, had a brand-new Cadillac. Hell, it wasn't...
2: Didn't, probably didn't have... He just bought cars. it that day, I think, Les.
0: Yeah.
2: Huh? He just bought it that day. Was it that day? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway
0: jerry and jack jack is there and jerry and jack are. you were the guys are down by the pool the laundry room or yeah, something yeah and yeah. jones came back and pulled up in front of the apartment but he left the car running he ran in the house to get in the apartment to get some so jack was jack went down and jumped in paul's car and drove it out of sight oh so, <laughs> going around the back of the building
1: there were no yeah, can see So that.
0: paul comes running out with a cigar stuck in his mouth and
2: <laughs> Where's my car? Right. Looking for those keys, man.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, John, he just bought a brand new, just slick Cadillac, man. Uh, dark blue. I mean, it was white, white top, and I, I wonder when, right when they come out those cushion tops, Landau top. He wanted to yeah. wanted to show us the Cadillac. So Jack and I were over at a pull house over there. We saw him run up the stairs, and Jack said, "Let's go get that car." So Jack runs out. He's a lot faster. He jumps in. He takes a car, and it's one of these big, huge apartment complexes. so he takes it way around the back. And I, as soon as the car disappears, I go down in the parking lot. Here comes Joe out out of the out of the parking lot, got a cigar. So man, I want to show you my new Cadillac. So we take about four steps out in the parking lot. He goes out there. He's looking, then he starts checking his pockets like this. I mean, he's panicking. This is in a neighborhood that's not that great of a neighborhood. Either. He's beside the apartment, you know. And oh, shit, somebody stole my new car. And I'm doing everything I can to keep him laughing. About that time, Jack circled back around, you know, walking. And, hey Paul, how you doing? Oh, I'm not good. I did. You see my kind, what kind of like, You know, and I mean, we we bleed him, bleed him fine, and we can't take it anymore. We just start bursting out laughing. He he, he nearly beat the crap out both of us.
0: <laughs> you know, uh, he and Jones got an apart- another apartment together over on the other side of town, and they had uh, three. It was three bedroom, and the odd bedroom. Had a waterbed mattress with no frame. In
1: other words, it covered the whole floor of that of that bedroom. If that tells you. Go
2: along with my, my lights, my sink lights. Right, lights. lights. You
1: had a, a waterbed mattress with no frame? With no frame, man. It yeah. prohibits the water from
2: sloshing when you got that frame,
1: man. So <laughs> <laughs> no, no. the, the, the bed had to be huge. Yeah, it was, you used. Yeah. covered the whole floor of that in one yeah, bedroom. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> it was it was one of those cow kings before cow kings, came along. <laughs> this guy, this guy owned a waterbed store, and he'd make a special waterbed, so he made me an extra large waterbed that covered wall to wall, man. What'd you do for sheets? I just did, I didn't use them back then. <laughs> <laughs> sheets, what do you need sheets for? <laughs> Well, I didn't did know you were going to tell everyone these you know? <laughs> no. I, I
1: well,
0: need this to tell John the story about us going to the concert too, Nona. Which
1: one?
0: <laughs> Which uh, the uh, the Rod Stewart concert, Johnny man. <laughs> Rod Stewart's going to be at Memorial Stay outdoors, right? Outdoors uh, concert, Memorial Stadium on Saturday night. So, I got tickets. We go, we're booked in Spartanburg, which is like 80 miles from Charlotte, right? On Saturday night. It's all right, no problem. We make it. He had a Mercedes Roadster at the time, right? So, we get down to Saturday night. We're down in Spartanburg. I get my match over, get dressed, shower dressed, ready to go. minute he's out of the ring, shower, we jump in that Mercedes and we're up, going up I 85. 100 miles an hour, right? We're going to make it. We're going to make that concert. We get off in Charlotte, and he's running through the streets at 65 and 70 miles an hour. We get to Memorial Stadium and can't find a place to park near the stadium. We had to park six blocks from the damn stadium. We're out, and we're running to we get back to the stadium, right? We give our tickets. We get inside festival seating, so we're trying to work our way as close to the stage as we can, and finally, the MC comes on and says, and for his final song to Tonight, Rod Stewart's going to sing. So we did all this for one
1: song. <laughs> Tremendous. <laughs> and there goes Jerry with his uh, Mork and Mindy uh, alien. <laughs> Internet going. I'm being
2: adopted, guys. Help, help, help. You know, help, help, help. <laughs> <This laughs> <talk> about <laughs> special effects. Joe, come and help me. Now, and now you guys are getting up in my in my picture up there. Uh, can we can we get you to? All do all this? I need now is my music lights going on onto this thing. That's huh? right. You
1: need your uh, <laughs> you need your disco <laughs> bolts.
2: <clears throat> Lord. All right. Do you want me to leave? You and try to this solve this too, right? You gonna blame you this on me? me? Of course it is. It's of course it is. Right. Well, you guys go ahead. I'm on. I'm gonna try to do some men in there. Okay, you fix it and come back. Okay.
1: <laughs> so, Les, when, when when you, that July 4th, sorry, sorry to again. skip way back, but that July 4th when you had your first match you and they smartened you down. up, did it surprise you? Out, you? Did you already figure out that business was a work or did, was it? Yeah,
0: because it, it, when I moved to Boston, I figured it was a shoot. Okay. I mean, there was no doubt I in my mind. Right?
1: On the camera back.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, the fact that I found out that I didn't have to be Bruised and battered all the time. Thank you. It was a godsend. But yeah, like I say, the surprise was the morning of July the 4th, you know, when my first match, but nobody ever smartened us up till that time.
1: Had had you already kind of figured it out that it was this
0: other uh, guy named Billy Graham, that was his real name, uh, was training at the same time. And uh, he said, I think there's something to this. And I said, Well, I, (laughs) you know, I, I wouldn't. Uh, deny that and uh, anyway he had a, 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 a like a um gymnastic mat in his basement he he was uh he was a black belt in uh martial arts but anyway he and i taught each other to drop kick i i'd stand with my back to him on that mat and he drop kick me in the back and then he'd stand and i drop kick him in the back and so we you know but here's the other thing too even if we thought that we weren't gonna open our mouths and say so because right. then somebody would have snatched you and said, "Let me show you
1: <laughs> right
0: right so but yeah, it was uh well you know, the kids today are, have got it easy to be quite honest they 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 do you know they, because well, I think the hard part is to be a teacher today because they come in thinking they're smart to the business anyway. and I think a lot of them, take it as well it's it's all a show so i can be an actor but of course the three of us know that it's a business unto itself there's nothing like it and to learn to be a worker is a lot harder than just taking bumps so
1: yeah and one of the hard things i've seen less is that you know when, when you came through the, the system where you worked a lot of different places you know which are not around right. anymore you have to right. learn how every different style. You have to learn how to get over a million different places. And by the time you get to something big, you've had a 1,000 or 2,000 matches. Now they don't sure. have that educational background, which is a huge disadvantage to the guys. Oh, you're
0: it's- absolutely right. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, you you know, know. when I read that uh, WWE was going to stop taking in independent guys and going to college guys, As a trainer, my first thought is, it's not, this is a numbers game anyway. You can put a hundred great athletes in a gym. We're not going to turn out a hundred great wrestlers. We may not turn out three or four out of that hundred people. Right. And so I don't care if they come from college or from the streets or where, uh, some of the best guys that I've, well, you, you both know who Nigel McGinnis is. Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, when he was the Ring of Honor World Champion, I'm so proud of it. I mean, he's, he started with me, right? Uh, so you you got guys like that. But he came in with that same kind of fire that I had years before him, right? I mean, the passion was there. And I think today, too many guys see it as a money grant, right? As, hey, there's big money in that wrestling business. I want to get in it. Well, I can even go back one. You guys have both seen the Naked Cowboy right uh yeah. that doesn't yeah. Times square sure okay he's a cincinnati boy and uh <clears throat> i i had uh judged him in a couple bodybuilding contests he was you know a teenage contest and so when i had my my place hwa in cincinnati he had called me and, and said can i come by i said sure so he came by and started talking like he wanted to get in the business and i said well bobby how long have you uh, like dressing. Oh, he said, I don't like it. But I see that Hulk Hogan got in the movies that way. And I said, my first bit of advice is, I'm going to tell you, don't ever say that to anybody but me. <laughs> because I'm not going to bitch slap you, <laughs> but somebody will. <laughs> I tell him, you want to get in the business and get in the movies, right? Just use it as a stepping stone. But I think a lot of guys take that, you know, with with Dwayne and Cena, and, uh, and those guys, they see
2: that, and they think this, this is the way to, up there, right? Less, less to your point there. I, uh, you know, I was a uh, college wrestler for years and years, and I had two kids that I knew were great prospects, good looking, big, six foot three, six foot four, big, big old boys, and uh, they, they told me they wanted to use the wrestling business to get it in the movie business. They wanted to be like Rock, and I, I, I quit recruiting them because I, they you don't have the passion for me, and so. I just no. totally quit recruiting. So I, I can back up what you're saying there.
0: Yeah. Well, what I'll tell you, when I did the, the guest coaching job at uh, we lost him, John, Yeah, that's good. But when I, when I, when I did the guest coaching a few years ago at the PC uh, one of your guys, one of the guys that you had brought into the system, trained with me the first day. And then I found out they'd let him go the next morning. and I.
1: <laughs> but but uh, that's, you're right. I don't, you know, Thank I don't you. think people realize how, how good Rock and Cena are were, and how long right. they had to work to make it in Hollywood. You know, I saw Rock. You know, Jerry did too. All of us did. You know, when when he was had that loaded card in the late 90s, and he would go out for 30 minutes and just cut a promo at the end of a show, at the end of a three hour show, and he kept everybody there. Sure, hardly anybody in the world could do that. I mean, he, his talent is just imme- yes. he Like Cena, it's immeasurable. And then they have a tough time transition. To, of course, they both make it, but that's very rare that somebody oh, yeah. like that comes along and then ends up making it.
0: Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Yeah. It's, uh, but I think a lot of kids look at it that way. And they think, they don't look at it as, I'm going to get hurt or I'm going to get sore. It's, it's a show. Right. And, you know, I, I think the people that broke in back when we did had the passion that Gerald, you know, and we both have talked about, uh, well, how many guys back from the sixties or seventies, if you talk to them, say, did you get in for the money? Hell no. I just love the business. I just wanted to be a wrestler. Right. You were, you know, as people talk about marks, but we were marks,
2: right. I mean, we really were, I was, a we, fan. Were, we were the biggest ones Les, cause we bought it hundred we, percent. We found a way to get in cause we we're marks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're right. But, yeah, I, I think that's the difference today, too. But like we were talking before we started recording, before Gerald got the St. Vitus dance.
1: <laughs> <Man,
2: laughs> all we
1: need is disco lights
2: pulsing right now. <laughs> this, is, this is senior abuse. There's got to be some laws out there I can, I, can, I can collect on.
1: I hope there are.
2: <laughs> senior abuse here.
1: Les, where did you end up? Because I was always up. I always loved going to the Maritimes. Uh, you know, we did it every year, uh, you know, go up there just for a couple of tours, but we didn't stay. Right. When did, when did you end up in the Maritimes? Uh,
0: 1970. That was for Rudy K and the Cormier. Uh, he was a promoter. And uh, I was up there from April to mid October. They ran a season. It was a lot of fun, man. It was, uh, well, actually, it's also where I started doing broadcasting for the first time. By accident, believe it or not. But, uh, yeah, that was – I loved – the country is so pretty up there.
1: Yeah, it's just gorgeous. We used to always work, uh, you know, New Brunswick, uh, Nova Scotia, go up to Newfoundland and to work all the different uh, – yeah. all those different uh, uh, cities. And we always loved going up there. We just didn't stay long. You know, it, right. I always heard the territory up there. I always thought I'd be great to work a summer up there. It must have been oh, a lot was, yeah.
0: yeah, I'll tell you what. Uh, if you were a heel up there, it was a dangerous time. the The fans up there weren't weren't bashful about wanting to c- confront the heels. And I that's the only place I worked heel there for about six or seven weeks. They brought me in that way. And the funny thing was, in 1970, uh, you were an American over the age of 21. They called you a draft dodger anyway. If you happened to be in Canada, right? <laughs> right. So you became a heel automatically. You're an American and you're not in the army. Why the hell not? You're a draft dodger. So yeah, that was the only place I ever worked heel. And when they finally turned me babyface, I said, thank God. Because we. I was traveling with Freddie Sweet Tan, Phil Robley, and Stan Basham. And uh, Lord, if Robley couldn't get you in trouble, you couldn't get in trouble. There was a bar in uh, called the Truckers in Moncton is where we were based. And the owner's son uh, worked some for Rudy, just doing jobs here and there, right? His local boy. So anyway, but we go there once in a while. So anyway, this one night, uh, there's uh, Robley, uh, Freddie, uh, Stan, <laughs> And we had this little guy that played in the band that one of them knew with us. But anyway, so we're going to truckers after the matches. So I pull up there and uh, they said, well, let us out and we'll go in. I, the parking lot looks pretty full. You got to find a place to park. I said, okay. So everybody jumped out and they went to the building. So finally I find a place to park in the back of the parking lot. And I, it's on a, truckers is on the second floor. And I go up and I open the door and walk in. And I see this body flying across in front of me, right? And then I look and I see stand head some guy. And then some jackass grabs me from behind, and i and I'm crashed back into the wall to free get rid of him. And by this time, I thought, "What the hell's going on? I just parked the car. And the owner comes and said, "The cops are coming. You guys go to the third floor, meaning the wrestlers. So we go up to the third floor. He said, I'll, I'll, I'll come get you when the cops are gone. So apparently he'd run through this problem before. <laughs> so anyway, he comes up and tells us, you know, everybody's gone. You Guys, go home. We come down. The parking lot is empty except for my car. And I had a, I had a brand new Pontiac Bonneville, right? I picked it up uh, from the dealer in Cincinnati on my way to Moncton. So I just had the miles on it coming up there so anyway we start walking toward the car and we hear some see headlights there's two cars come pulling into parking lot and some boys come jumping out with tire irons and chains and i thought oh my god we we're gonna die here in longton tonight right <laughs> so we start backing up towards my car and i'm telling these i i, I told the guys not loud enough that the 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 guys coming after us i said when we get close enough i'm going to break for the car i'm going to get it fired up your ass better be in it because i knew the the numbers weren't right for us <laughs> nobody was going recording. to put us over that night so anyway uh and probably is screaming come on mother, mother come on and i said buck shut up right it's like we don't, we don't need to pry the bull any further here and talk about people saying, you know, the Moncton police pulled in just before those guys got to us and ran off, right? And they said, "Us said, you guys better get back to home. And of course, everybody in Moncton us where we lived anyway. So I started I start driving, to drop these guys off. We're about four blocks from the truckers. And Roby says, damn, let's stop, pull over. I pulled over and I said, what, Phil? He said, we got to go back. I said, what? He said, We didn't get any beer. I said, If you want beer, <laughs> you can get out and walk back. I'm not going back there. Are you out of your mind? So, but that was the kind of crap that went on with the heels in Moncton in 1970. Was so, it just all because you were heels? That, that's what started well, that? I don't know. Somebody could have, well, Robley never uh, saw a fight he didn't want to be a part of, I don't think. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, it was. Just, the fans there, uh, well, uh, we we had to, in uh, St. John's, if you were a heel, you pulled your car up to the back of the building and one of the St. John's policemen took the car and another cop followed him in a cruiser and they went and hid your car so that the fans couldn't destroy it. <laughs> That's how bad it was, right? The heels couldn't leave their cars in the parking lot. So well, it was it a
1: good territory as far as drawing money and, and getting paid? Oh yeah, or? yeah, it was,
0: it was, yeah, it was, uh, it was, and it, the trips weren't bad at all. We we're in Moncton on Monday night, uh, Halifax Tuesday, Halifax TV Tuesday morning, uh, Wednesday morning, Saint John's that night, Fredericton on Thursday, a spot show Friday, and some uh, sometimes spot show on Saturday, but they weren't bad trips at all, not at all. But yeah, it was, uh, and like I say, that's where I first got a chance to do uh, do broadcasting quite by accident as a, as a matter of fact. Rudy and I had lived next door to each other in Charlotte and we'd made a lot of trips together and everything and just shooting the breeze and stuff. And I, uh, After I'd been to Tampa in 67, uh, Gordon and I got to be buddies and I'd i said to Rudy, I guess a couple of times, you know, maybe when I retire or something, I'd, I'd like to try that. Because back then, Gordon was the only probably decent broadcaster in because a lot of the broadcasters were the the local kiddies show host who got an extra 25 bucks for coming in and putting wrestling over. And he spent more time putting himself over than he did the matches, you know, that sort of thing. And Gordon, when I saw him in Florida, I thought, Oh my God, he's selling the business. Like it's real, you know? And that's,
2: do you think Gordon was one of the first that 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 was a full-time wrestling guy.
0: I, yeah, I think probably that's part of it too. Yeah, yeah, I, I would think so. I would think so. Um, but yeah, that's so Rudy knew that I wanted to give that a try. So, uh, on like I say, we went to Halifax on Tuesday, worked at the house show Tuesday night and TV Wednesday morning. He called me on Monday. i was just talking about different things. And he finally said, You know, you, you mentioned that you'd like to try to be a, a broadcaster sometime. I said, Yeah. He said, Well, be sure to bring a sport coat and a tie tomorrow to Moncton. And I said, why? I said, because you're going to do, you're going to be the uh, announcer on the show. And Rudy was well-known for his ribs. Right. And I'm thinking, uh uh-huh. okay. I'm going to bring dress clothes and walk into TV station. I go, Surprise. It's a rib. Right. Who finally he convinced me to do that. So I did. And back then there weren't two guys on the desk. You just one. And I'd been interviewed, but I'd never interviewed anybody. I'd never segued in or out of a segment. And I went in cold. And we got, we got it. how we got it done, I don't know what we did. And so I did the next couple of weeks. His his announcer had, uh, was from Toronto, and he had a death in the family. So he had to fly back to Toronto. So at first, Rudy was just covering for him for a couple of weeks. But then after I'd done a couple of weeks, Rudy came, uh, called me, and he said, you're doing a good job. I'm going to leave him in Toronto and I'll work something out and give you extra to do TV as well as the deal we worked out for you to wrestle. I said, okay. So that's how it all started just by
1: accident, actually. How hard was it calling a show by yourself without, without anybody else? I know you've done both. What, what, how's the dynamic different?
0: I, I prefer to bounce it off of somebody, you know, uh, to let me get a run and, and like pitch it to them and for them to come back. When I watch a particular show today and see four guys on the mic, I don't want to be a part of that because that's too, too many, I think. I mean, sometimes they have a heel sit in or something, but I prefer working with a partner, to be quite frank, because I think they, if they come from a little different direction than you do, right, they add a little uh, more depth to it sometimes. And, uh, but yeah, that was. I don't, that particular day, I don't know how I got by. I really don't, because I was nervous. I thought, what am I doing? Right. But, but we got it done. So,
1: but, and I finished out the season uh, doing the TV there. So, and then, and then after that, then you started doing commentary in most of the places that you were working? Well, I, actually, I just, when I came back to the States, I had been in Nashville and I went back there for a,
0: a spell. And then I uh, called Tampa. And Leo said, sure, come on in and uh, just wrestled. But when I went back to, when uh, Danny and I went to Charlotte in 71, uh, I was in the office one day and Lord Littlebrook was in. And uh, he said to Mr. Crockett, this Jim senior, uh, Mr. Crockett, why isn't Les on your TV? And Mr. Crockett looked at him, he said, well, Brooke, he is on my TV. No, no, he said, as an announcer. And Jim said, what do you mean? And he said, well, he did Rudy's TV last year and did a heck of a job. And Mr. Crockett looked at me and he said, you never told me? I said, well, I didn't know I was supposed to. I didn't know anything about it, right? So that's, so they, they actually tested me first. They sat me in with uh, Bob Cottle in, in Raleigh. And I remember coming off that trial and Gary Hart saying, you didn't put yourself over and I said, that wasn't the reason I was out there, right? It wasn't about to get me over. It was about to get the match over. So then I started sitting in and uh, with Jim, uh, with Jim, uh, Big Jim. Uh, and oh, not what was, what was the announcer of channel three in Charlotte? Big Bill Ward. Bill Ward. I know it was, I say it big, G, big, yeah, big Bill Ward. I'd sit in with Bill. I sat in with Charlie Harville was the only one that gave me static and in, in high point. And the first after, after the first show, sat in with him and he, before I left the studio, he said, you know, Les, I'm not going to try to be a wrestler and you don't need to try to be an announcer. Like, I guess he thought I was going to steal his spot. You know, and I thought, hey, I'm just, I'm just doing what I'm told. That's all. But uh, so then it finally worked in and I, I, I did the B tape there. And then uh, started doing all the promos, and you were you were also doing the magazines at that time. How did you? Well, get I, here the here's another thing that happened by accident. But yes, we got into the magazines. I was looking through some old uh, souvenir pro. Remember uh, the autograph books, right, where they have your picture in a place for the fans to sign the autograph. And there was a couple of those laying on a file cabinet in Mr. Crockett's office, and I was looking through them, and I said, to Mr. Crockett, I said. You don't do these anymore. And I, I don't know who it was, but he told me they said Somebody whoever helped him with those before wasn't there any longer. And I said, oh, that's too bad. I said, he said, why don't you try it? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you do one. I said, are you serious? He said, yeah, we got plenty of pictures and just put something together and show it to me. So that's how it all started. I did the first two were just you know, uh, for, uh albums. And then we started with it the, and then the, grew to the big color features and uh, centerfold and the art rendering covers and nobody's ever done anything that was one of my pioneer uh approaches to the business nobody's done it since quite frankly and then that turned into and, and uh jimmy came back from a uh, jimmy jr came back from an nwa meeting and called me into his office and he said i got a little a little job for you i said okay what's that he said to do an nwa magazine and every territory gets a page yeah that's just a little job what the hell <laughs> right? and we did the only end now nwa had a magazine out in the uh 50s because i used to have a couple copies but that went under and so that that magazine with terry funk on the cover uh was the one and only nwa magazine i guess and that we put that out it was in 75 76 with Terry on the cover, so, but that's again just you know, uh, we did things with magazines that had never the centerfold, and the cover. Uh, we had uh, an artist at the uh, the studios who did the magazine layouts. I give him you know like uh, would you, Greg Valentine always talk about the Valentine Trophy case? Like when Greg was on the cover, we had a Valentine Trophy case with all the trophies in it, right? And we we did a lot of great covers. Uh, If you go to uh, Mid-Atlantic Gateway website, they've got a bunch of the magazine covers and and the stories behind them on there too. But yeah, we did a lot of stuff, magazines that no other magazines had ever done and haven't done since. And then Vince saw them. And uh, this was when he was running up in New England. And uh, George Napolitano got in touch with me and said, Vince, seen those magazines and we'd like you to do some for WWF. So I did five issues for Vince, it was in the late 70s. But nobody's ever done anything like that since. How did the magazines do? Oh, they did well, they did well. I'll tell you, they do better now. I wish I had a few cases. I can sell them suckers for a hundred bucks a pop now. <laughs> and and I remember uh, at the Briar Bend office, uh, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Jr. coming back and saying, Les, if you're not busy, Why don't you and Jackie go out in the warehouse and and see them old magazines we haven't been able to sell and throw them out. Uh And I I thought, I wish I had a few cases of them suckers right now. Uh But people don't uh, balk at all paying that for them in in good condition, obviously,
1: right? But yeah, that's... How big was your staff for the magazines? Me? (laughs) Really? I, I, I did the rough
0: layouts. I, uh, I wrote the stories. Uh, and Cal Byers uh, Studio, who did the final layouts and, and the, his artist did the cover, uh, i go in with them. But I walked it through the whole thing. And uh, Francis, Jimmy's sister, uh, Francis Crockett, helped me with it. And a uh, guy named Don Swafford, who was doing uh, PR art for the office at that time. Swafford helped me with some, but basically i you know, um, Francis would help me get, get some ideas by Jimmy Jr. that he didn't, you know, something that was maybe a little off the wall for the, that period of time. And I'd say to Francis, I don't know if Jimmy will buy this. She said, he'll buy it. <laughs> she said, I'll take it to you. <coughs> and and he did, but yeah, that was, uh, they So I'll tell you a funny story about Jimmy Jr. and those magazines. Uh, We were in uh, Greensboro Coliseum, and Sandy Scott and I were doing uh, broadcasting from upstairs. I wasn't wrestling that night, so I had a jacket on and everything. But anyway, Jimmy and Jackie and I were standing out by where the ticket booths were to come into the Coliseum there in Greensboro. And the the new issue of the magazine was out, and they had been laid on the little kiosk things that the, the vendors use, right? And so we're just standing there and the vendors aren't out yet, but all of a sudden the gate opens and the people start coming in. Jimmy looked around. He said, we better go to work. And I didn't know what he meant at first. He walked up the closest kiosk, picked up magazines and start hawking. I said, okay, then we can all do that. Can't we? <laughs> and wow. we did. Yeah. So I, I, I always got along with Jimmy, but that solidified it for me that, you know, if he's willing to get, you know, get out there with the rest of us, hell, there's nothing that that you can't do for somebody like that, I think, but that was a great place to work. I think Jerry will tell you that, wasn't it?
2: Well, I love working short, and, and, and both crockets, Uh, there was no drop-off when uh, no. when Jim, or when John Ringley took over from the old man, and, and then from uh, Jimmy transferring uh, over from uh, Regularly. there there was no drop-off in the quality of management. And that's what made you feel good about that territory was just the right. quality of people that you were working for. And they were good want honest country people, John. They really were just old country, short of oh, yeah. folk. Right. And it would get out like Celeste said, anything that you would do, one of the Crockett's would do too for to help you out. Yes, they weren't they weren't shy about. Well, really, I'll tell you, uh,
0: in 72, I came down with hepatitis and I was out for six over six weeks and uh on tuesday klondike bill or big boy brown would come by and knock on my apartment door and hand me an envelope said mr crockett said to bring this to you now this is back in 1972 it was 150 dollars every week in that envelope and then around wednesday or thursday mr crockett would call how you doing baby you know and i always felt that i needed to say well i'm I hope to come back, you know, and, and he'd always say, no hurry. You get well, help the rent paid. Uh, I said, Jim, as BB brought the money by, no, no, that's grocery money. Your car payment made, your rent paid. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And through that whole thing. And then uh, I came back, it was a week before Thanksgiving and I wasn't figuring any angles or anything. And yet they gave me three of the big shows make sure i had a good payday coming back off of being out six weeks and that year I went home for christmas i went in to get my last payoff and walked in the office of mr just mr crockett and i and i said uh, jim i just want to wish you a merry christmas and to thank you so much for your help uh, earlier this year he said hey baby just do me a
2: favor don't tell anybody and ruin my reputation right <laughs> Uh, you mentioned that Mercedes I was driving around, and, and I, you know, I was I was young in the business. I really had didn't have any credit history. Jim Crockett Sr. had to co-sign for that that Mercedes. That Is guy. that right? And he called me and he, he said I, you know, he said the Mercedes man, the back back, I think it was, called me and said, you 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 wanted to buy a Mercedes. I said yeah, and I said I don't think I can afford it. He said go down there and sign the papers. Everything's taken care of. Just make sure you make payments on time.
1: And He just he, said, don't, he, buy a, he, "Don't buy a don't buy a home here." Yeah,
2: yeah. He told me that too. <laughs> he told me, that I bought one there too. Damn, you bought a couple. Yeah, how I many know. condos did you end up? Hey, I had a bunch
0: of them. The big entrepreneur was investing in condos. They're going to turn over, and we'll make a lot of money. Now he's sitting with two condos, and he's not living in either one of
2: them. The <laughs> Crockett co-sign on the disco lights. Uh no, those were gifts, John. Come on now. I was over. I was over, you know. And, and, and I was over with the disco crowd, you know. I'd uh, <laughs> alive, staying alive. I can do all that stuff back in those days. I had bell bottle pants on, just like Les did. Less and Les, I we gotta bring this up here. You and I did a venture together back in the early 70s before anybody in, in our business uh, Ever did something like as a merchandising business? You want to share that story with with the sure. crowd? Sure. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, you and I and
0: Jack were at your place, sharing a few things <laughs> <laughs> to the disco lights. <laughs> and the disco lights, yeah, and that funny smell
1: again. Right? That smell seems to be a a couple of, follows of it. discos
0: around a lot. It does. <laughs> but yeah we're just well we're just just talking about things in general right and i i had mentioned to a couple promoters about well this is 1972 and t-shirts caught fire in the late 60s right and every band and every everybody had a t-shirt for something and i had mentioned to a couple promoters that wrestling is time for them to do something like this in wrestling and they just, nah, they, they weren't interested. And I mentioned this to, to Jack and Jerry. And Jack said, well, let's do it. I said, what? He said, well, let's three of us do it. We'll all throw in a third and we'll sell t-shirts. And so uh, that's what we did. And. Gerald and I, uh, of course, you te- there's all these mills around North Carolina, right? So it wasn't hard to find the shirts. We found a printer. And print so room. that that third bedroom came in handy for this. <laughs> My bedroom, <laughs> I'm the one who had to carry them all over the place. <laughs> he, want, he wants some of the credit, but he's not going to get it, John. What's going go
1: in your bedroom, Jerry. You had a wall-to-wall waterbed. <laughs> That's it, right.
2: <laughs> that was only a one, one bedroom. But I, You know what? What
0: I, re- I was knowing I was going to do this with you guys. One of the things I think that we started was the merch table. Now, when I say that, the reason I'm saying that, John, is back then the only merch that anybody had in the business was black and white, eight by 10 glossies, right? You could get a hundred of those for 10 bucks at mass photo print in Houston, Texas. Right. And so Gerald and I, I don't know if he remembers this or not, the first night we had the shirts, we went to Fayetteville. And of course, you didn't need any place to lay eight by 10 glossies, right? You give them to some kid and they went out and hocked them. We needed some place to put the damn t-shirts. So we had to get the building maintenance people to get us a table. And we set that table up. And you know, they talk about things flying off the shelves. We sold the hell out of those shirts that first night. like crazy, right? And uh, they sold well. And then I started figuring, well, like, we didn't take them to Norfolk because the scope wanted 40%. Right. And our markup, we were selling these shirts for $3.50 yeah. a piece, right? You could get them in any color as long as it was white. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Jerry Lawler did the artwork yeah. for 25 bucks. Wow. I
2: wish we had, had, that, had original that original that, artwork and be now, worth a little bit more. What was the original shirt?
1: Right. That's <laughs> the know. original shirt.
2: A Briscoe booster. It was a yeah, picture of Jack and
1: booster. I.
2: Briscoe booster. Then, then a Thunderbolt shirt, which sold like hotcakes. Also, we yeah. had. Didn't we have actually have Andre the Giant side to, to, to do a shirt or something like that?
0: We had Watts. and yeah, we had we Watts had and Woods. Tim
2: Woods. Tim Woods. Yeah, I think we had Andre too. I don't know. I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. Okay. But there's a picture floating around. Maybe that was when that smelly stuff was thrown yeah. going around. I just I thought that.
1: Maybe that was <laughs> we, the bootleg yeah. shirt you had.
2: I yeah. <laughs> did a charity
0: softball game in Mooresville with, against the Mooresville firemen and policemen, right? And there's a picture floating around Facebook of Gerald and I that was for a young man with a <clears throat> born with an open spine. And he was in like a, a glass deal that he they almost like
2: him. one of those iron lungs almost. Yeah,
0: yeah. And there's a picture of Gerald and I, he's got a Briscoe booster shirt on. I've got a TP power Thunderbolt shirt on, standing, you know, with this by this kid and in, in his uh iron lung or whatever it was. Yeah.
2: yeah we were we were able to get Bill after to put uh little little ads and all those wrestling bags. So each wrestling mag we we had an ad in all those mag and, and then we and got somebody uh, somebody
0: less traded out with uh, Norm Keatser on his wrestling news. I'd write columns for him and in turn, he'd run the ads. Right. But then where, where it started to get dicey, like I say, we didn't have that much of a profit built in. And now- uh, And we didn't have much experience either. No, more. we didn't. We were not entrepreneurs. <laughs> well, we were all wrestling. That's all we yeah. really cared right. about. This is yeah. like an extra thing. But uh, Hebn- the Hebners knew somebody that was high up in the rich department stores in yeah. the Southeast. Right. And so they actually took a shirt. And was, now if we'd have got in there, we'd have been on the road yeah. to success, right? We'd have, had to, we'd have had to have several thousand shirts printed right away, but they they didn't take them. But then once in the Tampa program, Jack got in the Tampa program. I got at the time, I well, okay, we got to tell the story about me going to Atlanta to work with Gordon too. That that has a Briscoe involved. The Briscos are involved in my life. <laughs> I live my life for the Briscos. But... <laughs> me too. Damn it. <laughs> Jack Jack called me and he said, "This is when they he, him and Woods had bought into Atlanta during the war, the uh, Gunkel versus the NWA." And he said, "Gordon's flying in every every week from uh, Tampa, and we want to bring. We want you to come down and handle the TV." Uh, help with P- uh, public relations and the, mag- and the program in the office and wrestle. I said, you don't want me to do anything? I'm just going to sit around, right? <laughs> so, anyway, I, I was interested, right? Especially to work with Gordon. That that was, I was looking forward to that. So, anyway, uh, Jack calls Jimmy Crockett. And Jimmy didn't want me to go. So, Jack calls me. He said, well, I you know, I didn't want to rock the boat there either because like Jerry's saying, great place to work. I had a great relationship with those people and I wasn't going to, didn't want to screw over them or anything. So I didn't know what to do. So then Eddie calls me and he said, we got it figured out. He said, you give them your notice and tell them you're coming to Tampa to wrestle. On your way to Tampa, drop your furniture off in Atlanta. Right? <laughs> and you come down here and wrestle for a month and then you go back to Atlanta. And work in the office and I'm thinking oh it'll work but you don't think they'll figure out what the <laughs> hell's going on here right it's not like this is going to be a big secret but then Jimmy changes. I don't know how Jack got changed change his mind Jimmy changed his mind and said it was okay for me to go so and he's talking about the t-shirts I rented a two-bedroom apartment in Atlanta one bedroom was for the t-shirts <laughs> the other bedroom was for me to sleep in right but my my dad took pity on me hauling those t-shirts all over the damn place. And we, uh, he built racks in the garage in the house in Cincinnati. And my mom and him took uh, did the mail order from up there. So, because I think I can, and then when I went back to Charlotte,
1: I had to haul them damn t-shirts back to Charlotte again. Right. I think this is crazy. <laughs> but but how, yeah, how good yeah. was the mail order business.
2: Good. <laughs> it, it was good. It was good. But you know what? People, uh, the fans
0: weren't, it was something new, right? These guys are selling t-shirts. What, what's that about, right? It was a whole new thing.
1: How long did it take for promoters to start stealing your idea? Uh, oh,
2: they, they well, I think when we went to Virginia and we kept selling out a t-shirt every, every Friday night in, in Richmond, Virginia, and uh, and a Coliseum call was which, which called calling Croc, hey, we need more T-shirts because they thought they had to go through Crockett's, and it was through us that the Crockett finally Croc came to came to, hey, sorry guys, you know we're gonna have to shut it down either, well, yeah, either, either give up some percentage of it or we're gonna shut you down basically. Barnett wanted a piece because he had the ad in Atlanta program. Yeah, everybody, everybody wanted everybody that was helping us out all of a sudden. saw. Dollar side. <laughs> yeah, the idea it... wasn't
0: great when I presented it to them, but it was great after they saw it working. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: You know, I i told Gerald a, a, a year or so ago, I said, you know what? We should if we could just get one percent of the net of what t wrestling t-shirts sell for a year, we we could buy us a mansion in the Bermuda someplace, right?
2: <laughs> Yeah, I mean. My God, how many? Yeah, if, we, if we could get in over there, somebody's got got a got a, a lock there with the government that'll only allow so many wrestlers in there, and they
1: they <laughs> to go to. That's exactly right. I got a Bermuda block in Bermuda. <laughs> a, Brisco, a Briscoe, a block in Bermuda. Yeah. Oh, okay. I You got a place in Bermuda? I did. Well yeah, lived there for ten years.
2: You what? That wasn't a reference you was making, or you just pulled that out? <laughs> Yeah. yeah I,
1: that's I, I, I lived there for uh, 10 years.
0: Yeah. I'll tell you, uh, you know, this made me think of it. Jack. Uh, we were standing, we we're at Raleigh TV, Jack and Jimmy Crockett uh, Jr. And I are standing talking and this was before the Atlanta deal. But Jack said to Jimmy, he said, 'Let's doing your TV. And I've heard nothing but good. Jimmy said, yeah, he does a good job. Uh, but I just wish uh, he, my fans could identify with him more. And, and, Jack said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, he wears a spread collar shirts and, and a chain. You know, back then, you know, the spread collars and, and everybody wore jewelry. And uh, he said, I just like him to be able, the fans to be able to identify identify with him better. And Jack said, well, hell, if just want your fans to identify with him. Have him wear bibbed overalls. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was funny. Jimmy didn't think it was too funny.
2: <laughs> let's 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 jump. Just jump over to when you were doing the commentary for for Ronald Fuller up in up in uh, his, his. I hear where I'm at system. now in Knoxville. Uh, where you're at now in Knoxville. You you were you're there when that Plan B came around, right? Uh, with, with I've room. never seen it, Gerald, and I've never want seen it. it. You ought I to you, don't ought to, to you really you ought to take a look at it. Yeah, it'll it'll upset you, but you need to take a look at it. But did you did was there any inkling this was going on? And John and I's question is how in the hell did it stay buried for this long? You know, before? well it didn't. We Ron and I knew uh several weeks before they split.
0: Somebody well, Ron, Ron Ron called me, said you need to come over here. We got we got problems. So I went over to his place. And now, this
2: is when that this it, was, it was timeline. Okay.
0: Yeah. Well, this was before the split, right? There was no in, no indication of being a split at this point, but but somebody in the group that was pulling out had talked to somebody else and that somebody had buzzed Buddy Fuller and Buddy buzzed Ronald. So Ronald said, Roop, Orton, Malenko, et cetera, et cetera. These guys are pulling out, but we can't let them know we know. So we, you know he's lining up guys to come in, of course, and uh, but we we're we're going on like nothing's happened, right? And uh, they were they were doing their little bit to to try and uh, this is before they left to try and make our TV look like a car, uh, cartoon too. And the thing was when Ron bought this, they were doing that
2: through their work, or how were they doing it? Yeah,
0: well, they wanted to uh, make Jerry Blackwell was going to be a bumblebee. They want to dress him up like a bumblebee. And they was
2: Rube's booking. Rube's booking is what you're huh? you referring refer to. That. Yes, yes. Okay.
0: And uh, they, you know, but anyway, we just wrote it, wrote it out, right? And when they left, you know, but the thing of it was, when they went into business here, all it did was kill the territory. In Atlanta, both offices, I'd never seen anything like it in my life. We would sell out the old auditorium on Friday night. Gunkel would sell it out on Tuesday. We'd sell it out Friday. Gunkel would sell it out Tuesday. But she just couldn't hang on because she couldn't replace talent that she was wearing out. And, of course, you know, NWA was.
2: But, yeah, the the deal here. Were you guys aware of that video when they made it? No, I wasn't. No. No. I I don't guess anybody. Because Ron says he wasn't aware of it either. No, they well they did they did
0: silly nonsense too, like take a deflated basketball like they're trying to dribble it, right? And of course they challenged the guys who they knew they could
1: beat.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? I'm pretty tough too. <laughs> <laughs> if if I can pick the guys I'm gonna
2: <laughs>
0: call out. But well, I'll tell you how that went. You know, nobody called Tony Charles out, nobody called Slater out,
2: no.
0: right? Uh, but it came down to where there was almost Slater and Roop almost went at it, it, uh, this bar that we, uh, the lounge where both offices hung out. Right. I tried to separate them and almost got failed <laughs> in the oh, wow. midst of this year, Right. But, uh, they, they killed the business because they were spending more time making fun of Southeastern wrestling than they were putting their own product over Plus this city is not big enough to divide like Atlanta is, right? right. You uh, some of the fans went with Garvin and, and Roop and those guys because that they were fans of those guys. But and then Ronald sold to Barnett, and then Barnett sold to Crockett, Flair, and Mulligan. Mm-hmm. And I was witness to this. Uh, we were sitting in a dressing room, uh, Blackjack and Kevin Sullivan and myself and Mac McMurray, the referee, and Ed uh, Ed Sanders, uh, Sandberg, I mean, uh, came in. Uh, He owned a uh, car wash, and he was an ex uh, on the sheriff's department in Knox Knox County. But he had worked security for Kazana, and he worked security for Ron, so he just stayed on and helped security for everybody. But the boys had stopped by his car wash. They knew Ed liked to, to talk and gossip. So anyway, he comes in this night, and I say Mulligan. And uh, Solomon and myself are sitting here, and he says to Blackjack. He said, uh, two of the other guy, uh, two of the guys showed up at my place." I said, "And Jackson, yeah." He said, "They said, well, I see we got new owners. I guess we need to uh, get to the challenges again.'" And before uh, before exam- Jack said, stop right there. He said, "You go back and you tell them that every dime I got is invested here." So don't waste your valuable television time challenging. Just tell me where you want me to be and when. And I don't need to tell you. Nobody told him where to be or when. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so that's but they killed the t- they they did. And, and this whole thing started over Ron Wright was a hell of a heel here. I mean right. he was. Uh, yeah, he Whitey are. Caldwell was my my partner back in the '68, '69 and part of '70. We made nothing, we made we drew a house in the rain outdoors, I swear, we did. And the outdoor, uh, the amphitheater at the park, uh, we still hold the attendance record. I mean, money, you know, prices go up, but nobody's outdrawn, on. And that was in back 1969 for Christ's sake. So the, ter- I mean, and he was held, of- Ram was held, he wasn't a great worker, we hell held a talker and, and a meat chopper, you know, but he drew money. But then the more he it, it, he thought, East Tennessee belonged to him. So Fuller, uh, he wanted Johnson City or Kingsport or one of those to be his town, right? And Ron, I I wasn't in on it, but whatever. They just didn't work it out. So that was the thing to start. But here's the cra- crazy thing. Uh, Rube says, well, he skimmed off the top. Now, I never handled the money. I, I couldn't say but I will say this. I'll say it now, and I, I said it, wrong. I've t- I've told every, and I'll tell anybody that listens. If he didn't skim off the top, then he deserves a humanitarian award because every other friggin' promoter in the business took the first cut off the top, yeah, and been the
2: first it didn't. Yeah.
0: And Bob, you worked for the best at that in Tampa, did you not? <laughs> How many guys are getting a piece of that action,
2: right? right? Yeah.
0: But and, and so it's a stupid reason for killing a territory. Right, I mean,
2: it, it was. Uh, how how do you think that video stayed under underground for so long? I don't know, I don't know. It. Do you have any clue I, so, where it was or who who brought it out from underground? I don't know. I I would guess Bob or or. Uh, well, Bob. Bob swears he did. We had Bob on now. Yeah. in <laughs> the mail. in the mail. I respect you in the
0: morning, right? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Uh, no, I never heard about it until like in this last few years, right? Uh, and I, I, like I say, I, I don't want to, say, and you're right, I'll get pissed.
2: But I thought you guys would have killed your own business, right? They did. They did. They killed their own career. They could have killed their own careers. I mean, they were, uh, sure. Bob Orton Jr. was a young man at the time, a very yes. young, very young talent. Went on to be big, big, big th- do big, big things. Uh, Ronnie garvin went on to be nwa champ i mean they put so much and rupe you know he went on to book more territories after that so you know all all of them and malico he he was really the only one at the end of his career ron wright you know he he's tennessee guy and that was all he wanted Yeah, he wasn't going anywhere anyway uh, that's all he wanted in life anyways was that so it's it's yeah. so weird john and i both just wow, wow how did this happen yeah
0: yeah, and I'm like you. They,
2: if they'd have put that out to the public, they'd have killed their own careers, right? I mean, we 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 kind of suspect it was kind of aimed toward Barnett, uh, really, because they they really got into the homosexual things towards the end of it.
1: Yeah,
0: they, they said yeah, something I, about. I didn't see that part, but I'm guessing. Yeah, I. Uh, well, you know, the crazy thing is, I I felt bad about it too because uh, I was kind of Ron's lieutenant from the get-go here, right? I mean, sure. we, we yeah. friends, became friends in Florida in 71, and the state of touch. And and actually, when uh, he bought this, he called me and he said, uh, I just bought the Knoxville Territory. I know nothing about television. I want you to come in and build me a TV show. And so I did, and we talked about that too, because another place that the old man was a pioneer <laughs> was in television. But uh, yeah, I I never... I don't. I don't know. It, it just. It was the craziest thing in the world that that they thought that that was going to work. I, I just never never figured that all out at all.
1: We had Rob Kohler on less, and uh, he was talking about his hockey team that he had in Nashville and stuff. What a great promoter! I mean, I, I just. It, well, they job, they, they
0: a- owned the uh, Cincinnati Cyclones too. When they yeah. uh, Bob Bob Polk who's a local, well Bob lives up in New England now is around around his grandchildren. But Bob uh, was a local guy here. Ron and I made friends with when back in 74 and uh, he and Ron went on to, to do the hockey thing. But when they, uh, Bob called me, this is after I'd moved back to Cincinnati, he called me, he said, I'm going to run something by you now. And I don't want you to let it out. I said, okay, what is it? He said, what would you think about Ron and I bringing uh, hockey to Cincinnati? I said, I think you're out of your friggin' mind is what I think <laughs> they've had three teams die a horrible death right here in my <laughs> lifetime. Right. But they came in and promoted it like, you know, like wrestling basically. And it drew and it's, yeah, it's Cincinnati Cyclones. Now Bob and, and Ron don't own it anymore, but their third partner has still got it and still doing business up
2: there. Well, wow, So their, their franchise is still existing. The Cincinnati franchise that they originally bought yeah wow that's amazing it is you're right
1: yeah but, i thought yeah. so much of it less that uh, i sent the tape to some um uh, major league rugby owners you know they're the same type of thing trying to create rugby in the states i said this has been done before <laughs> i said listen to ron fuller I said, they all got right back to me go that is amazing He, you know, he's yeah. just so good he plus he's a great storyteller you know he's just a, oh he's yeah to yeah. listen to
0: oh yeah he is you're right he uh I tell you the story about the first. They they had a beauty contest, a bikini contest, in the dead of winter on the ice, right? And just to have some. And he thought he's he he told me he said I thought we'd maybe get one or two women. He said there were twenty some women <laughs> showed up for this thing, right? And the and the stands were filled, right? But it got over. You know, it's promotion, yeah,
2: promotion, promotion. <laughs>
0: yeah absolutely promotion 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 but that tv that i built here talking about being a pioneer uh i had guys we did things that had never been done on wrestling television before because he gave me carte blanche he said as long as it makes sense let's do it okay so we had split screen we had instant replay nobody else was doing that Uh, and i did put a thing together called personality profile which was a pre tape five-minute interview, low-key. Well, like I like to say, if I've got Gerald on, hey, let's talk about your college background, your hobbies. Uh, in other words, give us some depth, right? My point, and I'll tell you guys why I came up with this. It's We got all night, right? We're going to be here till midnight or something like that. Anyway. Well, stop and think about NASCAR. If you're a fan of a particular driver, it's probably because you drive the same kind of car that he races, right? yes absolutely or if you you got you follow football players from oklahoma he follows football players from texas right i mean college ball players that go to the pros right there's an identification and today wrestling should be doing the same thing and they're not smart enough to do it and you can tell everybody you want that i said it if you want but here's here was my point it, uh, back in 66 when i first went the first time i went to atlanta uh, the first day of, I was there for TV, Leo uh, said, you're not worked into anything right now, but I want it, I want Ed to enter. Ed Capital was the announcer. I want Ed to interview you. And now is this drag racing stuff? Is that a shooter? Is that just part of I said, yeah, because I, I was driving on drag strip when I was 15 years old before I had a driver's license. I was racing cars. And uh, so anyway, Ed asked me about that and talked about some of, some of the drag racers, those champions from Georgia area and that sort of thing. So then we're in Augusta the next week. And this late elderly lady comes up to me and she said, my grandson would like your autograph, if you don't mind. I said, no, ma'am. So he gave me the uh, the program and I signed it. And I said, "Uh, do you come to Bell Auditorium with your grandmother all the time? And before he could open his mouth, she said, he's never been here before. She said, he comes over on Saturday night to watch you guys on TV. But until he heard you talking about hot rods, He'd never been here. Light bulb went off. I sold a wrestling ticket not because of wrestling, because of drag racing. Right? Okay. And then you guys, are, you guys are both old enough to remember that there wasn't always four ex-football players doing anal, uh, being analysts at, at halftime. They had to entertain, and they had done some personality stuff with football players, like a a, a, a defensive lineman. Who did pottery as a hobby, right? Like the two sides of the coin sort of thing, and I thought, yeah, but you buy into that, right? Hey, that's my hobby, so now I'm a closer fan to this guy. If I was a fan to begin with, so that was my point to get that across, right? And so, and to make my point to you guys, uh, one of the early personality profiles we did was me and Armstrong, and when we were uh, riding together sometimes in Atlanta. Uh, we would play this, we both were into 50s doo-wop music, right? And he'd name a song and I'd have to name the, the artist. And, and he, I'd name a song and he'd name, you know, until somebody lost, until somebody. So toward the end of our five minutes on here, I said, you remember that game we used to play in the car with about doo-wop? He said, yeah, you mean where I beat you all the time? I said, well, I don't remember that, but let's see. So I threw a name of a song out. He gave me the artist, he threw a set. And I gave him the artist wrapped the segment up, went on, never thought any more about it. So that next Friday night at the Coliseum here, uh, this lady walks up to me and she said, you're you're Mr. Thatcher, I said, yes, ma'am. Well, I'm so-and-so secretary to professor so-and-so who is head of, I forget, the history department at UT or right, anyway, college professor. And he's big into doo-wop music. And he wondered if you and Mr. Armstrong we're just making that up or whether you both actually were into it i said no ma'am we we both are actually into it she said well could you answer these she handed me two self-addressed stamped envelopes with two typed questions pages of questions about doo music that the professor wanted to see if we were smart enough to answer make my point right we drew him he might have been a fan before he's a bigger fan now right because we have something in common And that's what I, and I had people tell me that won't work. Why? Well, you're doing low key and you'll lose all your heat. Well, let's see. One of the guys that said that was Bastine red. And I discussed this from Charlotte to Fayetteville from Fayetteville back to Charlotte. And he was bound to, it wouldn't work. Dory came in as champion and got him on one of the profiles. Right? So when he went to Frisco, I guess, Mentioned that to Roy and Red was out there helping with the booking. <clears throat> and so then Dory called Junior called uh, Ron and said, Can you guys send a copy of that personality profile out to Roy? They want to see it. So we cut, you know, dubbed, dubbed one of them off or a couple and sent them out there. And one day my phone rings and it's Red. He said, Boy, do I owe you an apology. I said, For what? I said, What have you done? He said, A damn personality profile. It's really good. Would you mind if we use it? I said, no, I'd be proud to have you use it. <laughs> but yeah. And now everybody's doing low key sit down pro interviews, right? It's, it's common now. It still works. That wouldn't said it wouldn't work in 1975 if I got, it's working today. <laughs> so, you know, I've given my, I've given my blood sweat to this damn business plus, yeah, sure. half, the, <laughs> plus half the things that are being done in the business day. I, I had a hand in inventing.
2: So plus, plus you 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 sacrificed your integrity to lay Abe Lincoln to break him in.
1: I did. I, I
2: absolutely did. Yeah. <laughs>
1: How would disco lights fit in your personality profile? Huh? How would disco lights fit into your personality profile? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that would be great if they've been popping behind. Hey, Les, did
2: Bill After put those in a wrestling magazine at one time and it sold more copies of Wrestling Review than any other issue ever (laughs) ever came out? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Ask after, he'll tell you. (laughs) Yes. Bill Bill
0: will know. (laughs) You know what, John? You and I, I was thinking about this too. You may not remember this. But we first met a long time ago at Cincinnati Gardens. You were with Dutch. Yes. Yeah, I do remember. Yes. Yeah. At the time. And he introduced We didn't get a chance to talk or anybody, he introduced us. And that was, you were just getting started with the company at that time, weren't you?
1: I was, yeah. Jerry's the one that hired me. Uh, Jerry's the one that hired me. To Jerry hired Dutch. you? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I love Dutch. I mean, I love Dutch. Dutch's- oh, yeah, I do, too such a smart smart guy funny guy we yeah, traveled yeah, together yeah. he was he was probably the most entertaining guy i've ever been around now, Next yeah, we, period, of course
0: yeah he he was my color man on Cornette smoky mountain shows for a while and then we talked about ron's tv uh dutch and the old shoot english shooter john foley uh worked a big we worked a hell of a program nelson royal and i with them for the tag team titles here but, yeah,
1: I love Dutch to death. He, and you're right. He's funny as hell. Oh, just naturally funny all the time. Yes. We would ride together. He would just make up stories, just literally make up stories going on the road. I, he entertained me for a year in a car. <laughs> and I loved every second. I still love talking to Dutch.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's good people. You're absolutely right.
1: When did the bodybuilding stuff start?
0: Well, you know, when I... Uh, when I moved back to Cincinnati in 85, uh, I got more serious in the the gym myself and then started working with a couple competitive young bodies, you know, not pros or anything and uh, helping them train for a show. So I decided at age 47, I'm going to do one show. I just figured I should do one. Right. So I can say I've done it. So I know what I'm talking about. Right. And Crazy thing, I won my class that first show. So I got hooked, right? Seven years and and 13 shows later, I decided that's enough. I was 54 years old. And then and I were well, well, still three. winning.
2: Were you still winning last at that age? Huh? Were you still winning the contest? Oh, I
0: yeah, or placing anyway. I wouldn't, I wasn't using any juice. Well, they had they have age classes. Well, they had some. <laughs> <laughs> No, I uh, I did use some of our quality stuff to practice my posing routines to uh-huh. music, uh-huh. but but I never used sauce.
2: So I'm 54 years still competing regularly in that. Well,
0: I, yeah, I did. I was I I did two shows a year, which uh, it it takes like 16 weeks to diet for for a show, right? To get to, get to where you want to be. But I'll tell you what, it's exhausting because it's 24 seven. It's how you eat, how you sleep, your mental attitude, how you train, obviously, and then before a show, it's get car you know uh, getting rid of the carbs and then carving up, but not too much. They spill over just enough to fill out the muscle. It's it's uh, and then I got to work with the pros when I worked with uh, Perilla Performance. Work well actually, animal and and his his wife was a competitive bodybuilder, uh, Joe Laurinaitis, his wife, and. Uh, I got to work with some Linda Murray, who was eight times Miss Olympia,
1: sure, and Ron
0: Love, and that was a lot of fun working with the pro bodybuilders too. A lot of fun, but yeah, I, I'm still in the gym, minimum of three days a week. I prefer to be five, but I'm helping my son with his business now, and uh, that he sells uh, storage units, storage sheds, dog houses, dog tunnels and stuff like that. And so I'm helping him out five days a week now. So I don't get in the gym as often as I'd like. I still like to be in the wrestling business. I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I don't want to take any bumps, but I'm still, my mind's still good. I can train. I can teach. Ask Nigel. You can can teach. Yes, you can. In fact, he told his son, if you get a chance to work, let's do so. I thought, damn. Okay. (laughs) But yeah, I'm proud. Listen, It ain't bragging if you can back it up. And Adam Cole, Tim Thatcher, Drew Gulak, uh, Nigel McGinnis. Those are some guys that uh, would would give me credit, I think. And Dr. Tom Tom listens to me once in a while, too. (laughs) Not often, but once in a
1: while. (laughs) Dr. Tom is the best. And as good a person as he is, he's that bad of a driver of a car. Oh, I, you're telling me he's the worst driver in in the history of the automobile on any planet. He's the worst driver in the history. I have not been in a car with him.
0: I had not been in a car with him in so long. And then last, last year, we, I rode to Marietta, Georgia. We went down to Brad Armstrong's uh, grave uh, uh, on his, the anniversary. I didn't know Tom had been going down there the last couple of years. And when I found that out, I said, I said, can I go? He said, sure. And he drove. <laughs> I thought I may end up
1: staying in this graveyard. <laughs> Big Glenn Jacobs rode with him one time, one time, and never get in the car with him again. That's how bad of a driver Tom is. The best guy on the planet. I love Tom, but he is.
0: Oh, I do too. I do too. <laughs> he would tell, "Well, we work together, train." He'd say, "Now, Les got a short fuse, but I'm calm." And he'd be <laughs> the first guy to spring Give yes, some of it. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I said, "Boy, that fuse got short all of a sudden."
1: <laughs> Les, but what was know, the, I, the bodybuilding? Just let me go back for a second. What was the? What, did you learn something in particular that you didn't know before? Because all of us train but you did it on a different level for a competition. You had to oh, go through yeah. the carbo yeah. depletion, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. Did you, the, did you learn a couple the, of important things that you didn't know before? Oh, well, I learned one thing for sure
0: that carbohydrates are addictive because when I'm trying to start first, start trying to lean out, I was jonesing for carbs. Right. And until my body made the adjustment, but you know, when you're, uh, my I never had a great metabolism to start with, but uh so to get off potatoes, rice, bread, stuff like that, your body misses the carbs but uh, uh, yeah it's it's a it's a science it, it honestly is, and you can you can do all the hard work I mentioned sixteen weeks, but if you're too smooth when you step on that stage or too flat you're you're out of the competition before it starts, you know, but yeah it's uh it's a science it, it is a science
1: and was there anything about the lifting that you found that was different than what you had done before as compared to the guys normally no, lifting? Yeah,
0: yeah it wasn't so much about how much can you lift it's just getting keeping the muscles stimulated and, and some growth right but it yeah. wasn't what's your single what's your best single i don't know because it didn't matter you know right. you weren't power lifting so it didn't you know And you step on a stage, they didn't know if you can lift five pounds or 50,000 pounds, right? And honestly, when you step up on that stage, you're probably the weakest you've been in 16 weeks because you've dieted down so much, right? And you've been depleted carbs and you're just carb loading again. And honestly, to go out there and pose for 90 seconds and to flex hard on every
2: body, every muscle, that'll wear your ass out. It really will. Yeah, I, I saw photos of you, you know, knowing you, you, you know, when you were bulky and you're in a ring, you, you, all of us try to have a little flesh on it so that that ring isn't so hard when you land. So sure. Then I saw you how you were cut down like that. I just couldn't believe that was less thatcher than a <laughs> dude like that. Holy cow, what did you do? But, you know, I'd seen it Ricky Steamboat. I see Ricky come in at 240, you know, and and, and, and sure. you're working his ass off. And see him a month, six, two, six weeks later, two months later, he's down about uh, 195 and just ripped and cut and all that flesh is gone. I just how the hell do you guys do that stuff? Kevin, not,
1: Sullivan. Sullivan. Kevin, Kevin Sullivan. Kevin
0: was a one. too, yeah. Yeah. Kevin was a strong sucker. We videoed him here uh, squatting 400 pounds 25 times. Wow. <laughs> yes. Wow. <laughs> right.
2: Yes. That's what I said. <laughs> wow, is right. Some of those guys are just beasts and everything. I yeah, but you know nice. a lot of a lot of
0: that is, is your the way your joints are put together. I I mean um I'm trying to think of the guy's name, Cone or back uh this has been a 20, 30 years ago. This guy Cone was a big Ed power. Cone. Ed Cone. Yeah, yeah. What songs Yeah, he went to uh uh like the Mayo Clinic or something, they did tests, right? To find how could he be this strong? And the only thing that they found that probably accounted for that was everything, all his joints and everything, were perfectly shaped. Wow, right? It wasn't they were any bigger than yours or mine, or you know, or than it should be, but everything was perfectly shaped and hooked together. So, so he was just Joe a genetic he about. was
2: genetic freak, in other words. You know, yeah, person. yeah. But you stop and think about that. That's like that's like Hodge and, and his grip, you know. Hodge, Hodge, and yeah. they did studies on him, and they they found basically the same thing. He was double tended in sure. some of us, some of tendons, and others were just perfect shape and size for what yeah. he was doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a fact. Yes. Uh it's um uh, Solomon was stalky to begin with but you know to be able to do i i said you really want to take video this <laughs> so well if it don't work we throw it out right uh-huh. i said yeah but yeah i wish i still had that i wish i had a lot of that video but you know back then uh I, ronald would tell you the same thing today he wishes he had a lot of it too but uh everything was on two inch tape and nobody wanted to spend that money right they reuse them tapes over and over and over and over. But
2: that, that's, that's another thing. It's, it's a shame because all of the tapes were bicycle back then. So much of our history is, is, yes. is covered up on on with other
1: tapes. Tape absolutely,
2: absolutely. Yeah. A lot of that I'm happened ever to, A
1: lot of that happened to the, the uh, Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Is that right? They lost a lot of it because they re- they taped over a lot of stuff. You know, it's now you now you know, people give anything to have all those old Johnny Carson tapes back like you would well, the old wrestling tapes. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, when cassettes first came out, uh, if we were sending an, uh, an interview to Atlanta uh, for Slater or somebody, it couldn't be on a cassette Turner. When the cassettes first came out, they were not quality enough. And Ted Turner wouldn't allow them to be aired on his station. So they've come a long way too. But uh, yeah, I, I wish we just we had so many. We did. We took Garvin up in his. We had uh, a guy take go up in the plane with Garvin and him doing some fancy stuff and filming that and and you know all that stuff. I wish we had all that stuff now too. But when uh, when Cornett and I did the Night of Legends back in '94, uh, we were doing uh, video packages each week on the show leading up to that, right, about the history. In fact, on my Facebook page right now, uh, Joe Dombrowski posted, uh, I, I cover the uh, 50 years of history at Knoxville Wrestling. Uh, and I'm, I do it, I'm on out in Chilhowee Park, one of the places where we used to wrestle.
2: But, uh, yeah. That's I, only half your time there.
1: <laughs> You're right.
0: <laughs> i am a pretty damn... Pretty damn good shape for an old geezer, aren't
2: I? Yeah, you are. We really are, Les. Uh, uh, so, I'm sorry to cut you off there. But what 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 was it, what Joe Debrus say about you?
0: <laughs> He's put that. Well, this video is up on my Facebook page now.
2: That's I hadn't
0: seen it in a long time either. You know, we I've got some stuff that would. I don't know. Uh, you know, I do a, a, a podcast on the Observer site. Uh, it's just video now. I mean audio, but I'd love to go to video and and do what you guys are doing and show some of this stuff. You know that I've got. When we did the the Night of Legends, that was in '94, and Dory and and, and Dory Junior and Terry were both here. And the next day, I took them in a studio, and we did a sit down for an hour. We wow. had nothing to nothing to sell, no matches to plug. Just talking about their lives. Growing up with their dad and all the guys that came, you know, through through Amarillo and their, you know, we just, and it's, it's it's been unedited. And I don't want to edit it now because the times. Well, tell me you
2: still got that thing. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Yeah.
0: yeah. And and what was what, the first part? Uh, one of the guys was setting lights and stuff, but they were the, the cameras were on, and it's it's Terry not working, but just Terry being goofy Terry, yeah. right? I mean just being himself and that's what i like about it so much right it's not again he's not plugging a match or, or or doing a promo it's just we're talking right and he's picking at me and i'm picking at him and and it was yeah i'd love to use that stuff at, at some point in time
2: you know and well, uh, maybe john and i can figure out a, a vehicle for you to use it you're a gentleman and a scholar uh, I know. i've got <laughs> i've got a good co-host
0: uh vic Sosa. uh you i don't know you you didn't meet him in charlotte he was in charlotte for the last time we 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 were there uh vic is a a disc jockey on clear channel station in new york city and he's got that great voice right but he does he records all our stuff and and puts out and uh yeah but i yeah i i say i i I feel i have given to this business until i'm plum near give out but i've still got a lot to
2: I've got a lot to give, and I, I'd love to give. You know, and, I mean, and you like, have the energy last to, to do it too. That, that's what's what's amazing about you. You still have that same energy that you had 20 years ago. Maybe not in the ring, but you know, in. person. No, yeah, I love it. Yeah, you still got that same passion up here in your yes, head that you Yes, I do.
0: You're right. Well, you know what? It's who I am. It's what I've done for 62 years, and going and counting.
2: Right. Uh, well, you're, you're like John. John and I started this stuff just to entertain because you know, it's pandemic driven. You know, we didn't have anything to do. Yeah. Everybody's locked at home. He called me one day. Hey, let's, you know, you tell stories. I tell stories. Let's, let's tell them together and see what we can come up with. So yeah, that's basically how we started. And you, you got that same energy. We do. that same passion to share, yeah. the, you know, storage. Because our wrestling business is so historical, and it it gets it gets glossed over so easy with this modern day stuff. And there ain't anything wrong with the modern day stuff. It's just but we had a history that helped helped start this business. Oh, it, I know. And it should be it should be out there. People like you and me and John share it with everybody out there.
0: Oh, I can find several things wrong. You got another hour
2: and a half. <laughs> I can tell you, simple things wrong with the current business. How about a volume two? <laughs> and and it'd, take, it'd take us another year, John, to get a volume two out of you that. You don't I'll have to. you know what? It's like the 62 years in the
0: business for me. I've loved it. I mean, when people say I wouldn't have done a thing different, hell, I can think about a thousand things I might have done different. Right? <laughs> I, know, I know a few I've done. Yes. But the point is I, I would have made it.
2: that ride with you that one night. Where was it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I I've I've loved every minute. I mean, it's been my life, and it how many people can say they've lived their dream, right? And uh, the only thing I missed, Buddy Rogers was my childhood idol. And I've got a picture of me and Buddy, I was 12 years old as a wow, wow. music hall in Cincinnati. Yeah and I never got to meet him in the business ever really no no and I I'd love to have just one match with him right and uh well Ernie Roth uh Ernie used to live with Buddy and Buddy's wife in Columbus for a year right that's where Ernie learned a lot of his ideas about the business so uh when he went to New York in the 70s to be uh whatever the hell name he used up there uh the grand uh, grand wizard. Grand wizard. Uh, he, ca- uh, he called me, he said, you want to work with Rogers? I said, what are you talking about? Uh, he said, well, he's, in, he's working in the territory up here. If you want to come up, I, I'll see that you work with him, but I was doing well in, in Charlotte. I didn't want to, you know, didn't want to give up the money. And, and I realized I wasn't big enough to be on top in New York at that time. That was Bruno and, uh, Stasiak and, you know, all the giants man it was wasn't a place for a for a uh, junior heavyweight but uh, yeah he was just i'll i'll, I'll get you, i'll be sure you work with him and that's the only thing i wish i'd had a chance to lock up with buddy rogers
2: you know i never got to work against him but i would mean, have shared a ring with him we all have those guys that as were coming up we, we would like to share the ring with he was one of them there's a picture out i saw not long ago me standing in the ring with Buddy, and I kind of got got that look, and I started trying to flash back to that time. It was, we were in Miami, and I was his tag team partner, and they'd introduced me, and they were introducing Buddy, in the crowd, you know, it's basically a New York crowd in Miami ever, Buddy, 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 and I'm just, I'm just really marking out, and I'm, I'm looking out of the corner of my eye, and there's a smile on my face. I'm marking out just like, the Marco, here I am in the ring with Buddy Rogers. Yeah. What the hell is going on? It was you, that kind of a thrill for me.
0: You know, I, I use the Rogers O'Connor match from 61 at Comiskey
2: Park as a that's training. What John, that's one John and I talk about all the time. We, try to, get, we try to get guys to copy a lot of that stuff. <laughs> yes, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Well, where, where Pat does the spinning arm, where oh, it looks like he's yeah. taking it out. <laughs> and every time I show that, there'll be two or three kids that. Oh, man, that's really cool. I said, use it, but
2: they won't. They won't, yeah.
0: They same want not die. Same here,
2: yeah. same here. I've been, in, I've been over NXT, and I asked, did you guys show it? Oh, yeah, we show it on video all the time, but guys just, they think it's a rest hold. you know? It's unbelievable. It is. You're right. There's so much to learn. I'll tell you another. You guys
0: would like, enjoy watching this. This is from Gunkel's promotion in 73 Atlanta. He's Steinborn and Tommy Sigler in a baby face watch. Yeah. And they're telling us a hell of a story, right? Going back to the same holds, you know, and, and run a spot, going back. And I had one kid I showed at one time, and he said, But they keep going back to the same hole. <laughs> I said, Really?
1: You think? No, no,
0: no. <laughs> I, well, that, that's the current generation we're talking uh, about, right? Uh, uh, Why would he not go back to the same hole? Yeah. He didn't die oh well hell we can't talk to him then that's my problem with the business today is everything is it's too much of everything and when i mean that well you know i'll say when i do clinics i'll say to the guys how many guys here uh have wives or living girlfriends and the guys raise their hand i said okay i gotta i got homework for you tonight before you come in the bar okay when you get home And you and your wife get in bed, say, honey, we're going to make love tonight. Now I'm going to stroke your breast and you moan and then you reach over and see you guys are starting to smile and the kids don't, they don't think that old man think I'm like, I said, it's okay. I meant it to be funny, but I'm making a point. And here's my point. You know that you're, first of all, you wouldn't do it. She throw your ass out of bed. But the other point is you wouldn't do it because you know her likes or dislikes which, you know, her favorite color and all that, but you would never try this with her. But yet on Saturday night, you and your opponent are gonna sit in a dress room someplace where there's 500 people, and you're gonna lay a match out in the back for people you've never seen before in your friggin' life. So why are you doing that? Of course, they don't have an answer because there is no reason to do that. Because if those people aren't buying what you're selling, how do you switch gears if you don't know how, right? And exactly. I'll tell you what. Uh, one of my other heroes in the business was Garibaldi. Leo, Leo Garibaldi, one of the sharpest minds I've ever talked to. Amen. In my life. Amen.
2: Yeah.
0: First first night worked in uh, the old Land Auditorium. Kirby and I went against this this young this team I'd never met before. Kirby may have worked with him. And Leo comes in and says, uh, "These guys are going to be my top heels here for quite some time." And I need you guys to get them over if you don't mind. Okay, well, I'm whatever, right? We're just let's work. So, anyway, he's the referee. Leo refereed a lot of the matches, so he's a referee on our match. And it was one of those nights we couldn't have made a mistake if we'd tried, right? Your feet don't touch the ground, and, and the people at that old auditorium just rocking. In the middle of the match, Leo comes around and says, We're not wasting this, we're bringing it back. Here's the new finish and none of us missed a beat. How many kids today could say that, right? We switched gears in the middle of the match
2: and went on
0: and came, or to return and came back to next week.
2: I loved when Leo would referee the matches because if, some, if something was going wrong, he would, he, would, he would start, John, he would start making suggestions. You didn't have to listen to them, but if you follow him, all of a sudden, that match that was just down here, all of a sudden, you started hearing a roar. And yeah. he would he would help he would he would be there calling the matches for you and helping you build to that spot there. And yes. before you knew it, wow. wow, the people are going crazy.
0: Well, you know when he's laying a, a like a finish out in the dressing room, he his passion would come out. And then I want him, you to- him and Louis yes. to him
2: and Louis to let expend more energy, giving a finish than anybody I've ever seen in my life. Yeah,
0: yeah, you're absolutely right. Leo was hell of face too. Yeah.
2: Yeah, he drew I, a now, see, I'm old to remember right?
0: watching him and his dad were a team in L.A. Yeah, and Leo was on
2: fire when they got. And he was what, 17, 18 years old at that time too. I think.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, yeah. Unbelievable. Leo. Leo was a class guy too. I i, I really thought the world of Leo.
0: I did too. I did too. He uh he took me under his when I went to Atlanta in '73, right? You know what he told? He took the first day. He said, "Let's go to lunch." And he said, "You know." the guy that started this war is gonna end up booking the NWA office. I just looked he said, mark my words. And he was right. Ernesto ended up booking the NWA territory. But I'll tell you what, working in that office with Leo and Watts coming in, they butt heads sometimes, but there's two great minds, right? And I said, but Leo instilled confidence too.
2: He uh,
0: yeah
2: he would build uh, you up. I mean, he, that that's Leo could get on your ass, chew you up, but at the same time, he's building you up. Yes.
0: Well, he wanted, he said, I need you to go to this uh one of the small town, Saturday night town. Uh, Jerry Oates was wrestling Billy Spears. It was a return, and I forget what the match was, but I was gonna be a special referee. He said, so I, you know, he gave me the finish for the match. And he said, then uh, I said, what about the other matches? He said, How long have you been in this business? At the time, about 13 years. You don't know any finishes? Oh, I, yeah. He said, That's why I'm sending you. Uh-huh. And that's all. And I said, Damn, get your ass up there, Les. <laughs> Make sure you get this right. Yeah. But yeah, he instilled that kind of confidence, right. you
2: know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, you were t- talking about uh, hiding uh, Paul Jones's car. Uh-huh. We pulled a stunt on Jack. The first time I worked Atlanta TV with Gordon was the Saturday. I know what
2: Jack you're talking about. Yeah. Won
0: the, Jack won the title on Friday night. And Houston. listen to this, John,
2: it's all, all time classic on my brother, Jack.
0: So Jack, Jack comes, he flies in, right? We got have him on the show and interview him at new champion and everything. So we're shows over and he stops to talk to Gordon and I in the hallway. And he's telling, he said, I'm nervous about this bell. Why? Well, it's." Uh, they haven't got it insured yet," he said. I, "I just it makes me nervous." Oh, okay. So anyway, he had set the box, the belt in, down on the floor. They and had a special
2: down, box. They had a the special yeah. The hand,
0: yeah. And uh, so somebody down the hall said, "Hey, Jack," and he said, "I'll be right back," and he went, and left the box sitting there. Right? Gordon looks at me and he looks down. I, I know what it's. I "Yeah." So there was an office door right there, and it, it's unlocked. Pulls the door open, sticks the belt in, shuts the door. And we go back to talking to each other. Jack comes back to say, his, well, i, I got to get to the air. <laughs> Where, where's the belt? Gordon says, what do you mean, where's the belt? Well, the belt is, I don't know. You, you see the color drained out of his face, right? Mr. Muchnik, that new uh, belt, uh, I just uh, lost
2: it. <laughs> Yeah, he was I remember he called me that that afternoon and told me about about the first time with the belt he lost the belt. Said, what what are you what are you Who beat you? He said, "No, I lost it. I physically lost it." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, poor Jack. I mean, uh, he he would rib he wasn't ribbed much, but when they, when they would rib him, it were classic ribbed like when they met the governor of Texas, you know, and they said that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, last man, we really appreciate you. It's getting late here, and I know you're old, and you need to get your beauty <laughs> a lot of it too. So. Gerald, Gerald's getting ready to have another seizure,
0: and so That's he right. was. How,
2: how do you like it? My internet has stayed on since I I repaired it. Yeah. <laughs> well, my question is this: When are we going to do it again? Well, it, it takes a year to get you booked, but I, well, well, now one that one, I know how. <laughs> we'll start planning now but we'll have a volume two an episode
0: I really i've time. enjoyed myself i have you guys uh,
2: but do you have any more
0: stories oh i've how many years you how many stories you <laughs> people keep saying why don't you write a book nobody nobody will sit down and talk to me that long to write a book right? <laughs> or or uh, somebody had ask Rod, J- jr about working with me he said, and I guess they had said, do you listen to him or something? And he said, Hey man, tell me stories about Buddy Rogers. I listen to. He said, but I was a kid then too, for Christ's sake.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you were a kid for a long time. still, I'm still a kid. A kid. John I'll tell you a story that that's not very well known but one time Eddie Graham it was when last kind of brought it up and I thought he was going there when Gordon first started doing Atlanta TV you know he was going every weekend every weekend he was gone well Eddie didn't want things done you know Gordon was his go-to guy so he got he got a little upset with Gordon because Gordon was blowing up all across the country you know, and he was people were calling on Gordon to come and guest host here. So Eddie said, I'm going to get me a new guy. He said, who are you? I said, Les Thatcher." He said, call him, tell him, come down here. I got, I got a plan. So I called Les. I told Les that Les was Les was, scared, Les was scared to death. He did not want it. No, now, wait I a minute. I did, they didn't tell me what I was coming. All they know
0: me, I was coming down to sit in with Gordon.
2: Right? You sat
0: in with Gordon, yeah.
2: Yes, so I did. So, so okay, and well, go ahead. You can tell them better than I can. All
0: right. Well, and then after everybody had left and Gordon had left, there was... Kevin Sullivan, Dusty, Eddie, Mike Graham, and and Briscoe were all they're all in the office. And now they're saying, hey, they're going, I don't know why Eddie got mad at Gordon, but he wanted to fire him and we want to offer you the spot. Whoa. You know, and Mike even said, you know, Les, uh, I've got a nice condo. I'll let you, I'll let you live in the condo. I mean, that's how bad they wanted to change things around, right? So, you know, somebody's going to take this spot, right? And I figure, why not? You know, the time I was freelancing, I wasn't doing anything steady. But here's, now, he can tell you what happened. After I went back, I, I flew back in here, and so they can't decide... Eddie says, Well, who's going well, to
2: t- here here's here what happened. Eddie come to me and he said, You gotta fire Gordon. I look at Eddie like <laughs> I gotta fire Gordon. So <laughs> don't think it is no you're a stockholder, you 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 it's your duty, you you gotta fire him. I'm, I'm I'm giving you giving you what we want done as as a company. And you been a, a stockholder company, it's your responsibility to tell him. And so I I I, I go home you know we got a couple of days before this happened and you know i'm calling hey, gordon gordon's not no dummy gordon gordon you know he's feeling stuff going on so he got he right. called me and he said briscoe he said i am known you along what's going on and i said hey gordon i don't know i don't know what eddie's been. he said well eddie got something in the mind eddie don't do this so just you know treat treat me like this less stuff i said well i do know he's hot at you about Atlanta and all that stuff he said well, I had Barnett straighten all that stuff out with him. Well, I didn't know about that. So I started thinking. I said, man, it's not my responsibility. Here I, you know, a 12% owner of this company. You know, Eddie's own own majority of it. It's not my job to fire a guy like Gordon. So, <laughs> so I, I I I man up and I and I I call Gore, I call uh called Eddie and I said, Eddie, I said, you know, I've really been thinking, putting a lot of thought in this. I said, I just don't feel it's my 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 obligation to to come. Tell Gordon that that he had been replaced. I said, if anybody's got a fire, Gordon, it's got to be you because I'm I'm not doing it. I'm sorry, I'm just not doing it. And I up the phone. And of course, Eddie didn't have to have to the, have them either to, to, go, <laughs> to go. Can so, you believe Eddie, this? These two old tough shooters, and they couldn't fire a guy who that's toughed. right. The I fire heard. damn legend, man. No way. <laughs> yeah that horror legend no that's what that's what eddie said you're hiring a, you're hiring a future legend that's so well I, now i'll tell you how because i i didn't mention
0: but this goes back to 73 74. uh when i went in down there the idea was for gordon you know to phase him out and leo had figured well i won the first two ring battle role there in atlanta and leo had figured me and bobby shane would work a big program around territory to kick things off too so anyway Barnett bought in right and uh but before he came in Leo and and, uh uh Bill Watts called me in the office and and they said well we think maybe it's time to you know let Gordon stay in in Tampa and I said let me run something by you guys but I said since I've been here one of the things we've been talking about everybody mentions we want to look as much like the Hawks or the Braves, you know, as the Falcons, as they do, right? And I said, they use a play-by-play and a color guy. And, of course, wrestling up until then had basically been a one show, you know, on the mic. And they said, yeah, that does sense. So we let, let's keep it. I said, yeah, I think that's, you know. So that was, I thought everything was good, saying so Barnett bought in. So Barnett calls me in the office uh, a couple months into 74 and said, you know, Leslie, I gave you the name Thatcher. I said, yeah, I didn't know where we were going with this, but yeah, Jim, sure. Well, you know, Leslie, I want to buy into Florida. So I've got to kiss Eddie's ass. And to do that, I need to let Gordon be the Tsar here. And besides that, I can't afford two commentators because I have my chauffeur <laughs> in my penthouse. I thought, "Yeah, have Jim, I Rose, would have you, my Rolls Royce. I wouldn't want you to give up the Rolls Royce and the penthouse. <laughs> you know, God forbid you do that." <laughs> and he said, "So, and I've already called George Scott and Jimmy Crockett, and they would love to have you back. Or you can go somewhere, any place you'd like." And I said, "I'll go to Charlotte. Thank you very much, Jim." So that. I shot myself out of a job there because if I let Gordon go when they, they, but I was, I think, I still think I was right because the two man team made a better appearance. I thought than you know, just uh, the
2: one guy. So TV was changing there and you saw the changes come along and you were ahead of the curve there. uh, Yeah. It it took, it always takes wrestling so long. At least it used to take it when the old territory days, it took us so long to, to buy into the change that was coming along because everything had work. It was always satisfied It worked and why change anything?
0: Right. Well, it's, it goes back to the T-shirts, right? The, the promoters, they never sold T-shirts before, so they weren't interested in selling them then.
2: So, yeah.
0: All right. Well, I, you, since you're going to kick me off here, the only thing when, hey, Les, when we come, Les, when we come so back...
1: For coming on. I, I, I really I really look forward to this for a long time. And it's, it's been such a treat having you. I'd love to have you back. Uh, maybe i, do frisco, it. I it on the prints and it'll just be us two
0: i yeah I'd, I'd love if we can keep gerald from having the saint vitus dance on, t- twitching all the time right but yeah i want one of those bw two uh, b b 2 WOC shirts
2: do you know what that stands for
0: uh frisco and no i don't what
2: I can't tell you that's true. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, put me, me out of my it's nose. Me, it's B squared, dumbass. Come on, you hillbilly. It's B squared. Oh, I, <laughs>
0: I born. I was born in Cincinnati,
2: Ohio. I don't know. I know. That's, that's the reason I called you that. Booner. You know, right. <laughs> well, Kentucky hillbillies. The Dust Bowl.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, last. thank you. John, 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 John's got to go to the bathroom, I think. <laughs> no, I don't.